this week's game of the week is Mother 3. Mother 3 is a 2006 RPG for the Game Boy Advance. Directed by, please forgive me for this pronunciation, Nobuyuki Inoue. Uh, notably a scenario designer for Live Alive. Um, and also worked on the Legend of Mana series. Um, and the previous director, Shigesato Itoi, heavily consulted and wrote the script. This was a long and canceled game. Uh, transferred game development from many systems. Itoi made the scenario in two weeks upon reading a novel about twins and was uh, deeply inspired. Um, it started on the uh, Nintendo 64 DD, the additional drive, um, before that was canceled and then eventually moved to the Game Boy Advance. The gameplay, or the gameplay has many improvements. The essentials of Earthbound system are present, um, but the main thing is the additional music rhythm mechanic. With a very precise beat matched to the song and heartbeat of an enemy, you can extend combos up to 16 times. The plot is way more complex and divided into eight chapters. In the village of uh, Tasmali in the Nowhere Islands, Flint, his wife Hanawa, and their children Lucas and Klaus live peacefully in a rural settlement with everyone else. A mysterious pig army comes into the islands and starts messing with the wildlife and village customs. On a stormy night, Hanawa um, tragically passes away. The brave Klaus disappears. This leaves the more meek and mild Lucas on his own to grow up as his father, Flint, becomes absent, searching for Klaus. Lucas's mission is to team up with a thief named Duster, a princess named Kumatora, and his own dog, Boney, to pull seven mystical needles out of the land and fight back against the mysterious pig army. David, what did you think about the game? Bro, I have a confession to start here. Oh my god. I did not play an official version of this game. What? You did not go to J you did not go to Japan, learn Japanese, and then play play the Game Boy Advance version of this game. No, I'm sorry to say I didn't. I did play it on the Game Boy Advance, though. I'll say I bought a cartridge that had an English patched version of it. I assume that uh, is like a kosher one. Uh, I don't know. I I don't believe it was illegal for me to do. But uh, I've consulted with the lawyers of the show here, and they seem to say it's okay to talk about this game, uh, largely because uh, Itoi kind of is, is letting people slide on it. I don't know. It's but it uh, seems, it seems Nintendo like good. also seems to like. There's no way they're not aware of it. If they shut down AM2R, <laughs> they know about Mother Three, and I I'm mean, pretty sure Reggie said that as well. I, I'm pretty sure Reggie said we know about the translation. Did, did people harass Reggie for years about yes. Mother Three's localization? <laughs> yes um it's a meme it, it's one of those complicated things but i guess just for the localization we'll talk about why it doesn't necessarily translate over to the west um later but basically this was made by i believe his name is tomato um i should really have kept that name but the translator did an excellent job he is a professional translator and i gotta say the that localization is pretty good for a fan-made project possibly the best fan-made translation i've ever seen I'm I'm no expert on fan translations of games, but the reputation of Mother 3's uh, fan translation precedes itself. It was done like almost immediately after the game was released when it became apparent that they weren't going to have a Western localization. So everyone at the Starnet uh, forum, star, uh, starnet.com or whichever, uh, got together and organized the translation and they got it out pretty quickly. It, so, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's impressive. Um, 
I don't necessarily know what was lost, I suppose. But that being said, what is replaced is still a very consistent earthbound tone. So, you know, I think it's I think it's completely it's it's almost as good as it could get, because I doubt going back to the Western thing, I doubt if they released a Western port of the game that there would be, you know, it would be more faithful to the original Japanese translation. I am sure censorship would get in the way. A lot of things would be different. That's for sure. Even just regarding the dialogue. Uh, I definitely noticed playing, I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely more of a direct translation than a Western translation that yes. you would typically get and you see. So like, it's not, it's very different from what like Earthbound ended up being and how that was interpreted uh, for it, Western audiences. Yeah, it was not made to sell copies of Mother 3. It was made to accurately portray what the game was. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it, it could be an ideal translation in a way. Well, that, so, and that's very interesting. It comes down to that distinction between what's a what's a the most faithful representation versus what you know the interpretation of it for for the audience. It's kind of like it reminds me of the the mini game you have in Persona Four where you've got translation homework and it's like, oh, do you translate this literally or do you translate the spirit of this? You know, and the difference yes. there. <laughs> and that's like the fundamental English to Japanese uh, issue is is like, and the spirit of Earthbound is a very specific kind of humor. So then, it, then it's a delicate tightrope to walk, but I think it, I think it succeeds. Um, but how did you feel about the game? What was it like going into it? That, okay, I'll say this: is that what were you expecting first? Uh, a lot. I mean, that's the thing is that because the the game is somewhat forbidden, I guess you could say, or inaccessible to Western audiences, there's been a mystique that's kind of been built up around it uh, over the years. It's this kind of intangible thing for a lot of us over here, and then. That's uh, accompanied by the very fervent fan base that the Mother series has, particularly for 3 and how much the game is treasured, set, like, sky-high expectations. And so there was a lot to, like, fight, fight against going into the game. You know, certainly trying mm -hmm. not to bring any bias or uh, overly indulged expectations there. So th that was definitely something to kind of consider throughout and evolve my perspective. And the other big hurdle was that this is a very different game from Earthbound and Mother 1. Uh, it, it is uh, where those two share a lot of DNA and have a lot of echoes. This is its own different beast, its own narrative, its own structure, its own style almost, while still being fundamentally Earthbound-ish, Mother-like. So yeah. it, that was also something to adjust expectations before. But... I, I guess since you want me to say specifically, I'll say that this game is great. It is great. And <laughs> yeah. it, it... Just give me a goddamn number score. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great game, but uh, definitely there was a lot to reconcile of my perception going in versus what I thought about coming out. Um, what, what exactly? Tell me more about it versus like how great it was. What were you expecting in terms of content? I mean, I don't know what I was expecting in terms of content. That was the thing. I was expecting something bold, I guess, uh, emotional. And I certainly got that based on the perception I had going in. You know, because dipping my toes into the Earthbound fandom with the first games, you can't help but get information about the other games. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was definitely, there was a lot of expectation that this is going to be a big, heavy story. It's going to be, you know, emotional. You know, this, some people are like, oh, this is like one of the only games that's made me cry and, and whatnot. So definitely I yeah. was expecting a lot narratively, character-wise. A lot of people have a lot of affection for the characters in this game in particular. Yeah. So, yeah, so th that was a lot to uh, kind of consider going in. But 
yeah, gameplay-wise and narrative, I just wasn't wholly sure how it was going to be different versus how it was going to be the same. And it ended up being a lot more different than I was expecting. And... I think, personally, for me, different in a good way. No, but yeah, I absolutely. I could see how it could be different in a bad way at certain points. We can dissect that in a bit. Let me say, for me, I played this game, I don't know when. I played it a minimum 10 years ago. Um, minimum. And I think... It and I played it probably within a... Also, guys, spoiler alert. Huge spoilers throughout this podcast. We're just going to fucking say them all. We're going to. Um, yeah. Um, I played it within like a year of my mother's passing. I was probably about 17 Ooh. years old at the time. And so for me, this was a very emotional experience. I like deeply connected to Lucas. So yeah. um I, I had like a I had like an intense uh nostalgia for this going into it. And I don't play this game a lot. This is my third time playing it fully. Um and um I still really liked it. This time around, I liked it more. This is like for sure in my top 10 games now. Um the thing I liked about it is it's it's non unconventional compl complexity. Um, what it does for as an RPG is completely different. It's as if they took that like rolling counter HP thing and like the unique mechanic sense and sort of leaned into those aspects for other things such as the rhythm mechanic, but also just the different um, usages of like Duster's uh, thief tools or just the different uses of shield and all that. Shields and buffs were always important, but here it's like super important. Mm -hmm. um and i just got i got a huge mileage out of that and i also got a huge mileage out of um the the director of the game being uh rooted in live alive um and i haven't played the tales of mana series but i can say from live alive you can tell that he was the scenario designer because for me a lot of the dungeons and a lot of the um little set pieces are much more calculated than a generic you're going into a cave you're going to fight some enemies and here's a boss. They're much more, you know, different every time you do it. And then they build up to a nice story. They're sectioned off. It's cool. I don't know. I just dig it. Yeah. You know, actually, I didn't realize that Itoi didn't direct this game. He's just so heavily associated with, with the series. And again, even with this game. But literally, until you said that, I didn't realize that there was even another person uh, yeah. helming it. So that's uh, interesting. And I'm glad you brought that information to me here. Yeah, no, um, but even then you see his voice. Like, I think the auteur voice is still deeply present, um, especially in that writing and, like, the story. It's still there. Um, I guess we should start by the talking about the first three chapters. For me, this game is, like, three. the first three chapters are actually the prologue of setting the stage and really getting you to know the base characters because i will say this game has a higher focus and a deeper focus on a cinematic or a literary sense it's less free form and you know yeah. the characters more deeply um even the town instead of there being a bunch of towns there's basically one or two towns and um you deeply know the town of tasmali and you know its villagers mm-hmm I think that the structure of the storytelling is the biggest thing that sets it apart from Earthbound. Because where whereas Earthbound is very much this kind of interconnected world that has a mostly linear progression, uh, it, it still is very more focused on exploration, I think, and getting a sense of all these different environments through communicating with everyone there. Yeah. Versus the 
more kind of, again very streamlined i think uh narrative progression style of mother three whereas the chapter basis does not allow for any kind of going back any kind of uh other exploration there's still a fundamental aspect of getting to know a setting of course and talking to and, and learning about where to go from all of the characters in the, your particular settings but you're right there's like one central hub setting that is then connected to a couple of, you know, basically one-off areas that you go through. And then the big final area, which is more like some of the spaces that you explore in Earthbound, I would say. Yeah, and then some of the chapters, because of the chapters, um, the, ma the main party, uh, Lucas, Kumatora, Duster, and Boney, uh, really only become a full, glued, cohesive party uh, by the end of chapter four. Or, wait, did I say that right? Either way, it's by the fucking end of the... But by a very late point in the game. The yeah. first three chapters are, you know, Flint. Um, the second chapter is the monkey. I think his name's Salsa. I, Salsa, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the third chapter is... Oh, actually, the second one is Duster. Why do you, why do you yeah, not correct me? Yeah, I don't know. Me? You're right, you're right. Uh, just fix it and edit. It's Duster, there, bro. It's actually Duster. There you go. There hey, you just, go. Second, just cut that second back chapter in. is Duster. Uh, third chapter is Salsa. And then you go back to Lucas. Yeah. Um, where you have to find Duster again. Um, and that that is a really weird party composition. Because you keep resetting characters. And even when you get the full party, you, you lose the party. You get split up again. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, really, it's really interesting. Uh, Earthbound obviously played with multi you know like like sections where you had just a single party member or you were changing perspectives throughout so this is definitely a continuation of that and uh i i like it i think here as well especially the beginning starting with flint i think uh it, it's a scenario where it feels more like you're going through a tutorial area but done with a way that's not like you know playing down things or making it too easy you're you're given a stronger character i think than you typically are there, there's there's just more power it feels like in Flint's character. So playing yeah. through the beginning section with him feels very nice. And I think tonally the game starts off really strong. Like it, it sets its dramatic tone right off of the bat with the events yep. uh, surrounding Flint and going through the town with the forest on fire and uh, having to deal with the, the destruction that's being caused by the pig army at, all of a sudden. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. Um, and then it sort it may start to waver once you get to Duster and Salsa. I think Duster worked for me, and I think Salsa worked for me a little bit. I wish I wish like the Salsa bit was like I don't know shortened or something. Does that make yeah. sense? I think the Salsa but, part is definitely people's least favorite section. Uh, there's there's specifically a part where like you just have to deliver packages and it makes you really slow. And you have to do it in a certain amount of time, and it feels Some death tedious. stranding ass shit. <laughs> yeah, but it's intentionally, like, it's supposed to be tedious. It's, it's meant to feel grueling, because that's the feeling you're supposed to get as the character. You, that, that yeah, you, you... Uh, yeah, Salsa's having a bad time. Salsa is a monkey that is basically going through torture by um, a facade. Um, by the way, great um, name. Great, great character name. Great translation. That was something I think someone suggested. If I if I remember right, it's both uh, uh, an Ar Arabic pun uh, that his name means deception or something like that, and then obviously the English name facade indicates a you know putting on a kind of veil or you know a, a persona that is not uh, what it seems to be. 
So really I great think, there. I think that's super funny. I like Facade as a character a lot. Um, but anyways, he goes through, he tortures Salsa. He has taken away Salsa's girlfriend. And uh, you go through that section. Um, I think it is important to showcase a lot because that's also like the real heavy section that sort of communicates the harm Facade is doing intentionally to Tasmali. Um, mm -hmm. ta uh, well, we should describe Tasmali as a village real quick. Yep. It is a fully rural environment, pretty much. There's a cowboy, Flint's the cowboy. Um, and, you know, there's a blacksmith, yada, yada, yada. But... Um, when Facade comes in, who is a representative of the Pork Army, uh, he brings money. They didn't have the concept of money before, yep. like before there, Facade shows up. There's no money. There's no crime. They they have a like a jailhouse, but they've never used it. Yeah, it's it's almost like a utopia, which, which makes you question why they had it in the first place. Like, where did they come up with the concept for it if they've never even had like crime or anything? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. We, we may get to that in a bit, but, um, oh, oh, I was going to say, um, you know, I think some people are quick to like question the, the anti-capitalist reading. Um, I, th I think it's 100% intentional. I think the original like bizarre theme, one of the themes to Tasmali is a back in the USSR theme. Um, it has the Ukraine girls really knock me out motif. And, um, I, I think in this sense, it is intentionally like, oh yeah, this is this is a world without capitalism, and then capitalism is coming in and just wrecking its shit. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and we may get into why it wrecks shit later regarding uh, memories and all that. But yeah, just that section works. It you know, eh, um, Duster in the castle, it works well enough. I like Duster a lot as a character, so I think yeah. it worked for me there. So, so here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna lobby my first criticism. I'm gonna, Let's do it. I'm gonna say something controversial. I don't think that the setting and characters of Tasmili are that well communicated. In what way? In in the sense that I don't get as much a sense of the goings on and the people there and the significance of the the citizens and how the village works as a community than I do in. Uh, other areas like I do in Earthbound or or such. Um, That's fair. There's I, less interpersonal dynamics. There's some. There's like uh, the rich. There's like a rich family that's not rich because of the money. But like you can tell like it's a well-to-do family. Yeah. Um, there's there's like other segments too. And you'll also see growth. Like there is one that wants to be a pig, uh, pig soldier. And he ends up becoming a pig soldier by the end of the game. I don't know. It's just individual characters that work. But continue. Yeah. And, and this thing is, I think a lot of people who are big fans of the game will disagree heavily with that because a lot of what people argue is very strong about it is that it gives you a lot of time in the village with all these characters so that you see the transformation when you have that time skip later. But for me playing through, I, I was not taken with them, but I think because of how the narrative is structured, because the first chapter is uh, very oriented around an emergency and an urgent, uh, you know, uh, danger that you have to take care of. There was so much more focus on that than there yeah. was the people or the the dailies going on or but, what people do in the village. But that being said, it also it also communicates how they function together in, in an interpersonal way because you know there's there's the people like trying to help find klaus for instance like like there is a team uh community sense that starts to get lost when the happy boxes are introduced yeah and like 
like uh, like the the time skip for instance um lucas grows up in like in between chapters three and four there's like a three-year time skip and lucas grows up and lightning has struck their house a bajillion times and everyone just tells lucas like oh oh yeah you're you're a coward uh you should just get a happy box and be happy you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. i think there is like a before and after as well i agree that even though there's not there's a lot of time spent there's not a lot of time reflected but i also think that ties into a spoiler that may be controversial later on because of how it's communicated if you catch my drift i don't but i'm gonna keep going anyway continue (laughs) um yeah so because there's so much focus on the emergency in the first chapter i feel like i didn't get to know the community and then in the second chapter you're immediately dislodged from that for the most part from the town because you're spending so much more time in the castle and doing all the castle shenanigans and and such with duster and you get a good sense of duster's character through his dynamic with wes which is really nice and so again but that emphasizes like the core members of the party more than it does the village and then after that you've got salsa where you i guess you could argue i think the majority of the information the player receives about the town the denizens you know the community is conveyed but by that point i'm already hours and hours into the game uh, yeah. and, and I feel like it hasn't done a good job of investing me properly in that. So while I think still fundamentally on paper, the concept of the, the town and the single setting is there, uh, in, uh, in actual execution, it's something that did not connect with me, which I felt was like a, a big whiff for the game, because very clearly it wants to emphasize the importance of Tasmili above everything else, and yeah. I... Uh, playing through i just did not feel that uh importance quite as much so when the city does start to change emotionally i was less affected than i would have liked to be ideally yeah that's um, I, that's the big criticism i have of of the game i think but that, that's the that opinion one. that opinion could change on a pl- second playthrough i think is the other big thing here because i i might be more inclined to pay a bit more attention to the characters and explore around it but yeah just i don't know the 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 village did not in, invite me as much as I thought it would, especially coming from Earthbound. Just kind of having the time and the leisure to explore and get to know places and people and learn about things through environmental storytelling. I, I do think that the core cast and even, I would say the core cast and even like the, the peripheral core cast, a.k.a. the grandpas or like Duster's mm-hmm. dad, um, those characters are all like, I would defend them in a development sense, but I totally understand like the supporting characters. They're just like completely just like the NPCs quote unquote, they start to blend in. Um, I think they are visually identifiable in a way that they weren't in earthbound. I mean, there are, there are identifiable characters in earthbound, but like, each character in Tasmali is a different character visually. Um, maybe not in personality. But yeah. um, I will say I wasn't like necessarily focused on those supporting characters. I was just engaged in the main party and the conflicts there. Mm-hmm. But because the I, I think the, the game wants to emphasize the transformation and the indoctrination of the Absolutely. town as a key yes. theme. and I, it, it, it wants to care about Tasmali, yes. Yeah, and I just did not as much because the characters in the community were not as emphasized, I think, as they could be. Uh, um, we'll touch. We'll touch back on that in a bit. Okay. Um, let us let us continue onward with after after the destruction of all of that. 
Um, and like everything's a happy box now. So we sort of start to see uh, technology being introduced. Um, it's not necessarily like a TV allegory, but it is almost pretty much a TV allegory. Um, it is. It, yeah, so. um, it could be internet. It could be anything that's like electronic and just takes your attention away from the here and now perhaps mm -hmm. um the, you start to see things like that and even the this the logo of the game is like nature versus mechanical um when when you know spoiler alert the masked man is klaus um <laughs> okay just jumping straight into that just All jumping right. to i mean i'm just using that as like an example of like the duality because uh mother three does a lot with duality right so like well, the masked man I mean, versus lucas are like you see the nature versus the mechanical i mean if it was me i i would have gone for the chimeras more as an example as opposed to just going straight for the biggest spoiler <laughs> but you know <laughs> I'll get back to the chimeras. I do have a thought on the chimeras, but continue onward. Um, I, well, I, I like the, once you get to Lucas, I enjoy playing as Lucas. I think once that point happens, the game actually starts. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And I agree. And that is a long time. That's a long time for <laughs> the game to start. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, it's like, it's like fucking three chapters of prologue and they did have the guts to call it a prologue. Cause it is like 20 hours. I mean, I might even argue that it's even later by the time that you're looking for the seven needles is where the game starts. That is Wait. like, and the seven needles is one, it's one chapter. And then the other chapters, one needle specifically. Yeah, so, it's a very long chapter, but uh, it's a lot of, like, just reassembling things before then. Getting to see... Okay, like, so, there's all... The first three is basically the prologue, right? Then you have the time skip. And that time skip is basically like, okay, now let's reorient ourselves. This is the prologue to what's been happening before we're sent on our mission. Like, cause, exactly. like if, if the main crux of the story is like you know you know getting the seven needles that's like the macguffin the driving thing that's going to lead to the conclusion that doesn't come till chapter six but i think also on another angle it kind of doesn't matter like yep. <laughs> i don't i don't think like the soundstones were like particularly engaging or the eight melodies of mother one are particularly engaging because it's the whole quest throughout i think the set pieces are still fine and calculated and well designed and you know written you know like mm -hmm. club titty boo is a really fun experience oh, yeah or yeah. the chimera lab is a really fun experience without the needles the needles are almost an afterthought but it's not you know it's still it still feels real it's just Absolutely. almost rushed <laughs> yeah just from like uh, i guess when you're when you're going in an expectation of like story structure and gameplay it, it feels like a constant resetting up until that point that that feels like okay now we're on our mission we've got our objective we know where we're going and everything feels like prelude before and this is not to say that any of that is bad, bad but absolutely not it's it's some really great gameplay I for that first half <laughs> I, I think it I think the game intentionally plays with anti-game elements and yep. other elements to it. Like it feels a little bit like a play at points, it feels a little bit like a book at points. It doesn't want necessarily a strict formulaic structure. It it wants to be able to have freedom. And I think the freedom does give it a depth that is really nice. Yeah, I'll actually I'll, I'll I'll back it up a bit to talk about the gameplay more so and the experience Let's playing it. it because it chapter 1 has uh and i think in a lot of games there you know and in earthbound it was definitely true as well uh there is a, a a immediate difficulty hump that you have to get over and that came for me at the first final boss fight of chapter one the the mecha drago 
Yeah. <laughs> which which was what I was referring to when we were talking about the chimeras. That's like the one of the first real instances that you see of the the uh corruption that's going on with the in, infusion of technology into the the natural world that we have yeah. here. Uh and that fight is really really rough. <laughs> it's a wall. And I definitely had to grind to make it happen. And it, it was it was tough. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but it seems to me that that is, yeah, definitely a big difficulty spike uh, early on. I did not. The The big difficulty spike for me um, whenever I play this is the barrier trio. Yeah, that that was another now, one I was going to mention. <laughs> and I have now figured out the best way to do the barrier trio. So I'm I'm okay now. Yeah, yeah. Once once you figure it out, but oh my god, that fight could just absolutely destroy yeah. you over and yeah, over. Yeah, that, that fight fucking wrecks you. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I get it. There. Hey, but here's the thing: is there's difficulty spikes in all the mother games. Yeah, yeah. This requires for me the least amount of grinding because a lot of the bosses uh, can can uh, just use alternative um, things to them. For instance, like the pork, the giant pork trooper uh, is weak to DCMC um, memorabilia. Yep, which you get right before. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just it's just little stuff like that where I don't necessarily, as long as you plan ahead or you know what you're doing or whatever, this is admittedly not my first time playing. But like also, the game also tells you these things. The game is actually pretty good about the menus, telling you about enemy things or um, item weaknesses and all that. You know what I mean? So like all that stuff really works. Um, let's talk about the rhythm mechanic. Yeah, yeah. So this is something that also is conveyed to you fairly early on and is honestly, honestly an ingenious evolution of the battle system that was already present in Earthbound, adding an extra element uh, to that already incorporates itself well with the mashing that you do for the to get through fights with the rolling HP bar. Yep. It's just it's a great integration of it. I wish I was better at it. <laughs> I think it I think a lot of it's time a lot and the other thing is it's a very precise rhythm. Yeah. Um I I'm not able to get very much cuz I don't have much rhythm, but I could get like, you know, four hits, five hits if I'm four. like on top of it. Four is about the best I could ever do. I don't it was it's not like it doesn't give you the tools to figure it out. Like you have the pendulum or whatever from Duster which allows you to put enemies some enemies anyway to sleep and you can then hear their heartbeat emphasized more and you're supposed to time and rhythm to that uh but yeah they say beat but the the beat occasionally changes throughout a song and it it can be hard to keep up and like you said it's just it's very 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 exact and if you're not on it exactly you lose it but that, but that also ties back into that engaging battle system part when you say that the time signatures and for the beats change um, that can also be a thing you play with in the menus. I will say as well, the rolling HP counter is much more involved here. There's just, you're you're managing these things way more. It just feels way more dynamic. And what I mean by the uh, song thing is, is if you know that there's an easy part to a song, just wait. Just wait for the easy part of the song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So in that way, there is a way for you to play on your terms. And I, in a, and I like it in that sense as well. Um, I wanted to say something cause I forgot it earlier and, uh, it, it's just the best time to bring it up. Um, during the first part was real, uh, the first chapter with Flint was really impressive. Um, it had to like beg the programmers to, um, have a feature where he could control the individual lines of text for how much 
they speed up or slow down. So when when someone is giving Flint tragic news, for instance, he's it's more deliberately slower as if someone is talking slower. And that's a really nice way to engross a player. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say my, my first note here in everything I wrote about Mother 3. So the first thing that really struck me enough to write it down was the scene where Flint learns about Hinawa's death. That yeah. that scene is incredibly emotionally striking. It is is shockingly uh, well conveyed through again limited two D sprite animation, like the anger and the grief that he feels immediately upon learning that, uh, and and how he expresses it as a silent protagonist, is just so emotional, so affecting, uh, it, it, in a way that you don't necessarily expect. You know, the tragedy is of course inherent, but the the expression, the the pure rage and frustration and you know uh just heartbreak that he showcases through his lashing out is just in incredibly well conveyed this uh, is basically a super nintendo portable you know what i mean and on yeah. that sense conveying the emotion through the animations through the music and we'll get to more music stuff later um is is like crazy it, it, it is crazy when he goes to those moments i will say the beginning is way more emotional way more impactful than the ending i think the ending gets a little bit more zany and big brain and more like uh you know spaced out um, even though that there is a uh, an intense emotional moment there, for me yeah. the beginning worked way more in focus. I think I think any uh, emotional aspects in the ending is somewhat undercut by the obviousness of what's coming. That that was uh, something that was for me at least. For me, for me, the most emotional part of the ending we'll get to it when we get to it is not the fights perhaps, but what happens after the fights. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, um, there's. There's some other stuff I really like that's really existential about the ending, but again, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, um, let's let's talk more about party composition, the actual party. So Lucas functions a lot like Ness in Nintend. He's a tank. He's a healer. He fucking does damage. By the end of it, he's a fucking Chad. You yep. want uh, Lucas on your side. Kumatora has side powers. Again, notably, she's got some good side powers. Side ground. I don't know if you figured out the secret with PK ground. Did I even get it? I don't know if I got it. I got Starstorm before the end, but I didn't get ground. Did I get ground? I don't know. So, so let me tell you the secret to PK ground. I don't know when you get it. I should have wrote it down. PK ground. PK ground is n number one, can't be reflected. And number, Ooh. like PK Thunder, PK Thunder and PK Ground can't be reflected. And number two, it doesn't do a set amount of damage. It does a set amount of percentage damage. Whoa. It does about like five, it does like 8% of the uh, enemy's total health. So it's fucking amazing against bosses. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like it. I, I did not get it though, I don't think. <laughs> Anyways, um, so Kumatora has tools in her arsenal that make her useful. Um, especially, has... especially against the barrier boss. Again, alluding oh, back yes. to him. Oh, you just need Kumatora to beat that boss. <laughs> yeah, and and to me, that's more engaging. Like I'm, I used Paula. Like, don't get me wrong, but like here, Kumatora was right up there, second MVP. You're up there, um, Duster is much more weirdly functional. Um, his thief tools are always interesting. Um, the heartbeat thing with the sleep mechanic, but also he can turn people's backs around. Um, yep. The turning back around thing is really cool. Um, and also just an extension of what was going on in Earthbound. Um, and just like a bunch of other things. Um, he kicks, which is notable because he's disabled. He has a bad leg, but he kicks. Um, 
And Boney is like, at first, when I first played this game, I was like, Boney's kind of a lame duck party member. He's your dog. I, I but... was going to say, hold on, hold on. Boney is automatically the best party member because, like you said, he's your dog. I know. And I, that's no, great. Okay, number number one, that's great. I kind of wish you could play with King in Earthbound. But number yeah. two, I think it does the item character right. So he is basically like the Jeff or Lloyd-esque character in which you are using items with him. He uses less rockets. There's just less rockets in the game. Um, and it's less broken. Whereas Jeff, you could fucking just yeah. launch a bunch of rockets and wreck everybody's you, shit. You could literally one-shot bosses with the multi-bottle rocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking Jeff, like, fucking wrecks. But uh, Boney is much more like a pack mule. Um, you, you pretty much give him healing items or nice status items that you're like, I definitely want, you know, Boney to have, so I'm not wasting turns with my other three. And in this sense, also on a plot perspective, I think works. I think full, you know, four fully like devoted characters would be very distracting. This game already has a lot of like divergences into characterizations. So Boney being simple works. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, one thing I'll say about him as a as a party member and function is that as tempting as it is to give him healing items, it's sometimes counterintuitive because another thing that he'll do is sometimes <laughs> he will he will eat the food that you give him. <laughs> it's funny though. Well, yeah, no, it is. Again, it's like no. a, a similar kind of thing to the kind of quirky character stuff that they do with mechanics and. I, I mostly gave well, him oh, like the status stuff, like the flea spray. Yeah, yeah, same. And because he's the fastest party member. He's really good at doing stuff and using like rockets and stuff. Uh, I did remember I forgot to mention this in the in the Earthbound one, but again, uh, just another kind of quirky quirky thing that they do with some item things. You know the the fresh eggs you can get. Yes. You know how they will hatch into chicks and such. Yes. I did not realize this at first, and I thought the game was broken or something when I just kept hearing <laughs> this beeping sound, <laughs> and it took me a while to realize that. Uh, the fresh egg hatched into a chicken and it was in my party and making noise and that was very funny <laughs> it's just little character things like that it, it, yeah that's super again cool. like non you know non-traditional game things that the game is doing to give it a further sense of character so i, I don't mind stuff like that again like so bony eating the food that you give him because he's a dog that's great that's a wonderful thing. It's not helpful in any way whatsoever, but he it's also a nice... dies fast. He dies. He like... does. Yeah. He's he... kind of he's the he's the weakest, but it's okay. He's your dog. He's the it's dog. Fine. You know, it's it's to be expected. Uh, you know, I I think they designed him well as a party member. I think the party in yeah. general, as far as the roles they all fill, very well designed. Uh, Duster basically can take the most hits as well. You know, he's kind of tanky in that respect and deals. Yeah the most physical damage for the majority of the game until Lucas yeah. ends up surpassing him, which again, I, I had, I had the mythical boots on him. So he was also like pretty fucking good. See, that uh, was something I didn't, I didn't get those boots because I didn't know to go back. You reminded me. I was like, Oh yeah, I should go back and do that. And I, did. yeah, it was good. So that it's moments like that where like when I said earlier that the game is a lot more linear and, you know, kind of shoot, you know, like just kind of shuffles you along the, the narrative uh, objective. Uh, I think a lot of people would disagree and point out sections like where you go back to the castle. And it's can get it's like, like you can, you know but what that, I mean? It, it's like it, it allows you to. There's not a lot there, but you can. And there are sometimes rewards for it. 
but no it no the game does say like oh this is where you should be or if like a segment ends it will put you where you need to be you yeah know what i mean and in particularly here ver, uh it's just so out of the way you have to go all the way back yeah like by foot to get to the castle and you just wouldn't think to do that. There's nothing that would point you there to say, hey, something crazy is going on at the castle. Like, there's no indication that there's any reason to go back there whatsoever. And the game spends so much time pushing you towards the next objective. Uh, whereas in, in Earthbound, it was very much so you get to a new place and then you have to figure out what to do next by exploring the, the, the new location and such. Or if you had to go back, there was a clear indication of it and, and you would then go and do that and go through the events that way so that was one thing I, I, of course i missed the the side quest thing because there's just no indication that i should go and do it there, <laughs> but there's it, a lot more hidden enemies or secret things and um, i got a couple the, of them i got a couple yeah. of the the hidden bosses just naturally coming through and i do like that the game has them i think it's important for something like this to have extra stuff to go and explore but one of the the issues with it as well is because the, it is a linear structure because it is chapter based and you can't go back you could literally just miss out on on that experience yeah. entirely you can be like no, oh like, yeah you can't learn about it and then go back later yeah um it is what it is though um i still don't mind it's fine um it's no big loss because like i mean ultimately all a lot of the other mythical stuff is like an item drop with a three percent drop rate so it's like yo dude it's you know i mean i wasn't i didn't get the other mythical items let's just say so you know Mm -hmm. um where where are we at here um i like the thunder tower bit the thunder tower bit and club titty boo were fun i like the dms the dcmc band is really nice it goes back to that focus on music in the game yeah and we can talk about that more later but for mother three music is so innately tied to the identity of the game and that's also important because this is on the game boy advance the game boy advance is not known for its um sound famously the mother one plus two port is like it, it botches the soundtrack doesn't it yeah uh yeah i think especially for earthbound i didn't play it but i didn't play earthbound on that but that being said like yes it does uh that um gba didn't have a dedicated sound chip so there's a lot of those issues i think this may be possibly the best soundtrack for the game boy advance so in that way it's like insane um i saw i saw when we talk about um translating it over to america if they ever do it the, one of the biggest things would be the legal issues because this game heavily samples um and well, it samples so does, in a so different earthbound, way right? than earthbound what does it okay okay explain to me because apparently i don't know
uh, I just saw a video recently on it. It was like a lawyer talked about it was the way Earthbound sampled these things was quote unquote more like it's more distorted, for instance, um, even though they sample it clearly there. Um, they, they would distort it, whereas here it goes more for vibes or like small motifs. And those are much more easier to catch in the American legal system or like much more like especially post uh, the um, what's the fucking Robin Thicke song with the Marvin Gaye thing. Oh, uh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, what is that? Fuck. That song. Yeah, that one. Blurred Lines. That Blurred Lines, Blurred Lines lawsuit pretty much you know made it to where that there is a there's a gray area in how much you can sound like another song um and this song and this album doesn't even necessarily sample but it borrows feelings and vibes in a very heavy referential way so it would be in a much grayer area does that make sense yeah you know playing through i don't recall as many that i did with like earthbound where i noticed the the reference ones as much in in mother three i didn't like just thinking i can't recall off the top of my head any that at least weren't also present in earthbound to begin with because there's also um, a lot I'm, of I'm, soundtrack I'm trying to, over i'm trying to think of some um the most obvious one for me is the uh i don't remember what it's called it's the end it's when you fight the bats like in uh-huh. chapter one yeah yeah um that, that's that's the batman so- batman <laughs> yeah it does the na 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 and uh, it also borrows from Phantom of the Opera. And, mm. you know, we can bookmark these things because I think, again, like, or the back in the USSR uh, Ukraine girls little bit, um, these things sort of are much more calculated to reflect something because they put the Batman song with the bat enemy and sort of like emphasizes a cultural pollination in a nice reflective way. Um it means more is I guess what I'm trying to say is when a song is borrowed here, you can see what it's reflecting onto. Um, so in that sense, I think it's really cool, but um, there's also a lot of classical music. I know that for a fact where they borrow a lot of like Beethoven or what have you. I think the leader songs like Gymnopedi, um, but I think that's all public domain. So I don't necessarily know all the samples, but you can look them up. They're, they're pretty yeah. extensive. I know for me, the music that stood out the most, of course, was the the main uh, Pork Army themes uh, was was the one that kind of just stood out the most in my mind, as well as all the stuff in New Pork City later. Those, those tracks were the ones that made the impression and kind of stuck on my mind. And here are some Smash Bros renditions of the Porky tracks, specifically the uh, main Porky uh, Army theme. And you call this a utopia? They'll they'll repeat a lot of the melody, but they'll feel very different in instrumentation, which is why I chose the Smash Bros. versions.
I I got familiar with them through the Super Smash Bros. soundtrack first. <laughs> because, again, that's that's kind of like the other big thing, is that this is the first... that Super Smash Bros. Brawl was the first experience many Westerners had, I would say, with Mother 3. But, you know, through Lucas, through the references of the stage and in the story as well, the story mode of Brawl had a lot of mother three aspects to it that you kind of learned about again i, I think we talked about in the earthbound episode that's how you learn about the the final boss you you know you you learn that spoiler through smash bros and and that's how we got a lot of that information first so yeah so the the music at new pork city always stuck out and made an impression but i think also just emotionally resonated more with me than any other moment in it although i guess it, it feels it feels very john williams or wagner I don't think there's anything borrowed from either, but it feels like that Imperial March, dun, dun, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, still scary. That. Yeah, you could also, yeah, that's a great link as well with the uh, Stormtrooper imagery that you definitely got yep. going on. The, all the Star Wars imagery that's being drawn with the big army and all the stuff in New Pork. That's, yeah, that's a great poll. Yeah, no, uh, we could bookmark the Star Wars thing later because I'll talk yep. about it. Um, one thing I wanted to say now, though, was um i wanted to praise kumatora one more time and this is linking it to a much more once (laughs) yeah um but more so to also link into something else what i like about the party in general is is they're meant to be outcasts or suffering in some way um minor spoiler for the leader bit you know leader says when the town resets or whatever when everyone loses their memories that they want a childhood that they could that they wanted to live in when they were younger or whatever and for this party they didn't have good childhoods duster was handicapped and his father's a shithead and kumatora is so we recorded a conversational disclaimer but i felt in editing i needed to just go over it and speak over it so I could give an actual official disclaimer here. Um, I do not mean to offend any Romani people. Um, I, the word is Majipsi. That it is specifically, obviously it was like 2006 by Japanese um, game developers. And Itoi used it in a sort of affectionate sense, but it is still a slur. Um, and it's based on the prefix magicant. So it combines the uh, concept of magicant from the first two games into the uh, Romani word. So it's a very uh, complicated thing. I don't mean to offend. it. The whole concept we'll get to in a bit. So just just buckle up for the Majipsi uh, discourse because it's going to get brutal. Is that, a, I mean, that's a whole other thing we got to get into, but we'll get there in a minute. But... Just, just let, let, let me finish the one thought. Then we'll okay, okay, okay. Just... You, look, you opened the jar. You opened it. <laughs> I, I try to let it squeak a little bit because Kumatori does reflect them, though. She is very, uh, I would say, gender fluid. Does that make sense? Yeah. She's a very tomboy-esque uh, person that um, leans into those things. Um, I think that's very interesting as well. And obviously, Lucas has his own personal tragedies. So this party is sort of united in a sort of outcast way against both the Paradise of Tasmali and united against the Pork Army. Okay, but what about Boney? Boney's a dog, dude. Are you, are you saying there's heavy discrimination against dogs? <laughs> I don't know any... There's a few dogs in Tasmali. Look, man, it, it, to me, that goes back to the Star Wars thing, because the party also reflects Star Wars. Like, he's, no, he's a Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, you're, you're right. But Han Solo's not crippled. 
No, no, but Luke, it, I don't know, man. It's, it's close enough. There's, there's, there's similarities. If you okay, squint, if you there squint, is a you blonde kid named Luke. There is a princess. Yeah. Uh-huh. There is a thief, and there is a dog. There you it, go. That's that. And they're also fighting a fascist stormtrooper army yep. that has a dun 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 theme. All right, I think that's good enough. I think I can rest the Star Wars capes for now. Yeah, all right, all right. You know what? You may have convinced me. <laughs> It was the Luke bit, huh? I bet yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, you know. I'm learning <laughs> something new all the time here. Um, eh, where was I? Okay, let's talk about the Majipsies. They are yeah. interesting. Yeah, they are very interesting. And I think I agree with you in saying, like, up front, largely positive. But I'm also not the best person to make that judgment. No, I, I don't think we can represent, um, like, trans people or non-binary people in uh in any capacity i am a cis male you're a cis male yeah um that being said i think i number one this was in 2006 um and it said in, in regards to writing the majipsies that he quote unquote knows majipsies in his real life and the sort of you know he uh, appreciates that gender fluidity and i think on another deeper level that there is a, a nice grace and magic to them Could they be clumsy in, for instance, writing? Yeah, it could be a little too overt or a little too obnoxious. Like, they they are definitely, like, I would say cliche almost. But that being said, um, in terms of what they mean, I think what they mean to the story and to the characters is very an honest and graceful thing. They're not bad figures and i guess we should say because we didn't say it majipsies are like a species that are basically a gender fluid species they look like men dressed as women and to be clear here in the edit by that i mean um they're clearly coated in balding and huge five o'clock shadow and other masculine physical features but then have effeminate um uh voice tones diction um, they wear makeup and then they wear heavy fashion. And obviously we're going to talk about how they identify in a second. But just visually speaking, it, it's 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 a clear mixture of both. Um, Hinawa's father says they are neither man nor woman. If you talk to them, they consider themselves women. And the pork army considers them men. So in, in, a, in a way, there is some put boundary pushing of what gender is. And... In that sense, I would call them she personally, but they could be non-binary. Um, I would not lean towards the pork army's classification of them. Um, and Facade, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Facade is the other mad gypsy, but he's like the evil mad gypsy. He embraces a male gender role. Um, mm-hmm. So in that way, I think in a 2023 sense, for me personally, and again, I can't speak to the trans experience, I think it's at least looking forward in 2006, and especially in a Nintendo sense. Um, yeah. This is this is content that Nintendo doesn't even want to talk about. We Yeah, and I, it's also one of those things that I think a lot of people have speculated, one of the other reasons why the game has not received any localization, because... Uh, definitely even especially more here the conservative mindset especially in 2023 of the country is just maybe not amicable to to that uh but also if they ever did like i I don't think there would be any huge backlash or anything like the you know the gaming community is not gonna i mean maybe they would because it's the gaming community with a hard r but (laughs) we'll see um but no i i like them is i guess the ultimate thing yeah um 
there's definitely, I think, a a a kind attempt in the, the portrayal here. Like you said, Itoi says he like quote unquote knows Magic Seer, and, and I believe the relationship is more like uh, drag queens or non-binary people in general. But yeah. there's also something to be said about the uh, other coding that you end up doing here by portraying them as magical beings devoid of gender. There, there is a sense yeah. of an out outside uh identity and that specifically ties into the romani aspect as well yeah which is also again uh, a questionable character problematic for sure yeah yeah so i i'm i'm torn about it there's also other interesting aspects there's something i saw someone point out in that like the way in which uh lucas is given pk powers by the one of the mad gypsies is also controversial perhaps uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're we should just cover what happens. It is a problematic scene. I think it is played as a thing because obviously he doesn't do any. Okay, what happens is you go up to a spring. Ionia, I'm pretty sure it's Ionia. Ionia is there, and Ionia identifies Lucas and says, "Oh, you. I think you have psi ability. Let me unlock your psi ability for you." And then it cuts to black. And then Ionia says, you know, just take it. It, You know, it's going to hurt a little bit. Um, and there's like a, there's, there's a disturbing implication there. Yes. Uh, but then it loops back around. And I think the implication actually, there is the uh, dark implication. But the implication is she like pushed him down into the water. Um, and, and he comes back out and he gets PK love. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's uh it is a problematic scene. Um, I don't know how to respond to it. I think stuff like that could be harmful, especially in a current context where a lot of people accuse um, trans people of really gross things that they are not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it does. I definitely was a kind of icked when when I played the the game and saw the scene. But uh, you know, you you got to take the game as a whole, and that's why we're discussing it here <laughs> and we're pointing out why why it might be an issue. And again, it's it's vague enough that you can kind of like dance around it but it's also vague enough that it's it's also indicative of you know something yeah. again more no, more no. more sinister that um, is just deeply deeply <laughs> he, he did he compared he compared okay so this is another mechanic that we can talk about we can segue into a a lighter topic but also address a part of it is um when you get a new psi power you have like this you start to feel weird yep uh, it's like a Lucas sickness yeah, Lucas and Kumator start to feel a little sick. And there's like a thing running around their head. And notably, you can't run. Yep, that's a, that's a big deal. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god. Fucking get the power already. But I think Itoy, uh, Itoy said in an interview that he compared it to menstruation or toothing. And in that way where it's like a physical uh, hurt. It's, it's meant to be, you know, a maturation in a physical sense. Um, and in that way, I think the side power development makes sense. And I don't know. I like that little bit of it. Um, and then the, um, for me, at least again, I guess we shouldn't dwell on it, but for the drowning in the water, to me, that feels like a baptism. Um, so that's the way I see it. But obviously people can read uh, darker in like things to it. I think it, it is partially intentional. I should it, say. It feels sexually explicit in in the presentation they, they feel in general sexually explicit i think that's one of the problems with them is is that they are they are very drag queen-esque in persona yeah, so they are very they're very outward there there's an emphasis 
emphasis on sexuality that is not inherent. And I think that play, again, the, the way it plays into stereotypes in that sense is yeah. uh, uh, mi perhaps misguided yeah. is the way you would characterize it. Um, and again, just doubling it with uh, the, the Romani stereotypes just <laughs> makes it all the worse. It, it would be one problem, you know, you know, if it was just one, but yeah. yeah but yes. It, in terms of portrayal, it's not particularly like honest to them. Um, I think the sentiment is identifying with outsiders. Um, again, the yes. party reflects that. Kumator reflects that. Kumator is technically a Majipsi and at least inherit, like being raised by them, right? right. So it, there's, there is a spirit there of outsiders or magic. Um, and I also have like a creativity bend to this um, that I'll address later. So for me, the Majipsis work on a different level but we can address the creativity bend later. Well, I was going to say one last one last thing that I do like about the Majipsis is that they also emphasize the musical themes of things. Again, this emphasis on music as an important thing throughout their specific naming, their uh, name the the uh, on the various uh, modes of music, Ionian and uh, oh, shit. I just need to look it all up. <laughs> I don't remember them all again. I don't know if you. I only remember Ionia and Locria. Yeah, Lo Locrian mode. Um, Dorian. Dorian's another uh, mode. And and also, it should be noted that yeah, the, the way they dress is very specific. It's not just, you know, one thing. There is, um, I, I remember the one near the Chimera Lab has, like, an S&M cop outfit. Yep. And yep. So, like, they are explicitly sexual in a sense. Oh, they're drawing on that imagery, at least. They're drawing on those ideas. But yeah, so the, the seven musical modes, Ionian, Dorian, Phygrian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, and Locrian. So they all that's their naming, which I love as an idea. And again, another way to tie it into how, the emphasis on music as an important facet of all of these games. But like we said, Mother 3 in particular. Uh, so they yeah, they, they emphasize and embody that in a really lovely way, I think. And, and they guard, they basically guard the land. Right, so they are guarding the specific seven needles, seven uh, majipsies for seven needles. And when yep. the needle goes away, they also die. They don't die technically. They they say like, "Oh, I'm going away. It's my time." Yeah, they, they disappear forever. They disappear. They disappear. And it, one one of them is really nice. I love the snowman bit where it's like, "Who's going to take care of my bunnies?" And mm -hmm. so she she saves a, a pork trooper. And then the pork trooper, after um, she goes, the pork trooper's like, uh, you're my enemy, Lucas. I don't want to fucking talk to you. But that woman saved me. I'm going to protect these bunnies. That's what I'm going to do with my life now. And to me, it's stuff like that, that's really fun, really cool character moments. I really love the snowman music in Mother 3 in particular as well. That's, again, a, another nice connection between all of the games. Uh, snowman is the song you hear in every single one of the games and i think it gets better with each each one yeah and i think the snowmen here work because like there are actual snowman npcs and then like at the end of it and to me this says a lot about the game as a whole is after you pull the needle in the winter area the snowmen start to melt and then one of the snowmen is like we're just memories of a snowfall and mm -hmm. then that's all he says and it's just it's impactful in a way you're like oh my gosh and in a lot of ways uh i think the game is like about a memory in a snowfall um so that all works for me i, I love all just those little com complexities like that i think 
and I think to tie back to the problematic elements, this is a complex game. We could spend five hours talking about this game. We might. We might. I mean, we're only I one hope end. not. <laughs> but but this is a, this is a fucking game to be analyzed. Um, it is it is almost literary. It feels like a play. If I could compare it to anything, I'd compare it to a play. But it feels very heavy in terms of text and what's going on. Even just referencing Earthbound or Mother One. So in all those aspects, it's fucking crazy. I mean, just kind of talk about like some of the progression and the feelings I had going through. Like, do it. In, in, run, uh, run through it. We got it. Okay, okay. So, so chapter two in the castle, um, I, I got lost a lot. <laughs> that that was one thing I, I wanted I to think say. It's easy. There, there's one thing in particular. One thing in particular that I got lost on is that I just did not know where to go when you need to put the staples in the the room with all the ghosts hanging around and stuff. It has like a a shaded outline. Oh, yeah. I guess you you yeah. played on hardware though is your thing. I mean, even not like this. This is one thing that I found that Earthbound does better than Mother Three, and that's that kind of pointing you where to go through the various NPCs and tell like giving you hints about things there's nobody to tell you that that's what you're supposed to do. Like, obviously that's supposed to be the hint. Like, Oh, this is the thing there where you need to go. But like, if you just can't see, if you don't see the differentiation and the slight shading uh, I, on the wall, I, I don't, I don't need lost. all that. I've played a Zelda game before. They don't tell you to bomb every fucking shaded wall. In sure. Zelda. Sure. And I've played and I've played, you know, my fair share of Metroid games where you just bomb every tile until you figure out where to go. But you know, those are the tools there to, to do that. If you just literally don't know what to do, you just have to run around and look in every room until you figure it out. There's one other instance of this happening to me, uh, but I'll, I'll get there. So it was just, it's it's a frustrating thing when, when you just miss something like that. Sure. So, uh, yeah, but otherwise I, I enjoyed the castle. I like the ghosts. I like how they're written. They were funny. Uh, were I, like, I like a Sohi castle because it reflects a lot of like, it feels like an old world moment. And it goes back to, I should say something now. Um, I think to Mother 1, when we did the Mother 1 plus 2 cast, um, I said Mother 1 feels like a modern contemporary setting. Well, technically 1980s, but you get me. Yeah. Um, 1980s with like some fantasy mapping with, uh, you know, a castle, a princess, knights. Right. Um in the sort of psychological magic can't sense. So there's a blending there. And then Earthbound goes for a site um, deeper psychological bend to it with a much more widespread, you know, less American, uh, more global perspective, but also deeply personal. Here, the land itself has become um a like it is a post-world it's a post-apocalyptic world and these remnants of the world are either completely made up or just completely unknown and i think asohe castle really nicely reflects these fantasy elements because mother three is more fantasy than either of the games yeah yeah i think that's definitely true uh there's a there's a moment as well in the castle that i really liked because there's so much drama on the the front end of the game that the moments where they inject levity and humor are really important for balancing that out and that's a very key component i think of the tone of the entire mother series and in the castle for me that that was really emphasized by the dance that wes has to do to open the door yeah that's that's a really great moment that undercuts so much tension particularly be between the dynamic that you have between wes and duster 
because uh, his language is just so abusive at you, you know, the whole time there. And that was definitely something where I was playing. I was like, this would be toned down in a Western release. I can even see, like, I can see where the direct translation of the Japanese is here because uh, West just constantly calls him an idiot. And that's just a very common uh, derogatory thing that, you know, is yeah. thrown more, more specifically in Japanese. You know, you call Baka a lot. Yeah, that's it sounds way harsher in English. And, but but I think the game is also aware of how harsh it is because they have a moment where Kumatora is literally like, "Hey, stop calling your son an idiot. If he's an, yeah. if he's actually an idiot, he doesn't understand you. And if he's not, you shouldn't call him that." Mm-hmm. And it's so like the game is like also aware of those deeper things as well. So then it becomes a a problem as a translator of like if you are going to erase those bits, are you going to erase the Kumatora correcting him as well? You know what I mean? I, it's tough. It's tough. I, I think you would just change it slightly. Like you might say moron instead of idiot. For some reason, it just has like a lighter connotation. I think uh, to be it, moronical. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's just one of those things, again, like, that that's what stuck out to me, is, like, this is definitely a more direct translation versus, uh, you know, what you would, uh, how you do with localization, I guess, the the difference between sure. those two. Um, yep. I, and I think another thing that we should spend some time talking about, which we just touched on briefly, was Club Titty Boo. There we go. Hey, man, if you want to talk about Club Titty Boo, I will talk about Club Titty Boo all day. let's do it let's do it because club titty boo uh has you dress up bony as a human and it's, it's ma- the funniest moment it's and the also, best thing in the game also when you start the next chapter he's still dressed and yeah. unless you go deep into where you're supposed to go i went back to fight the ghost because i went back to fight the ghost bony was still dressed like that that's funny that's funny i will remember to do that whenever i play through this again that's funny uh, yeah, I loved that. I loved the the theming of it, and again, getting the sense of character, because that's where everyone gets reunited again. There's uh, the lead up to it is also nice in the factory where you you're help like you you push around, you do your some your, your slave labor work to push around the the clay men or whatever it is, uh, to to get the recharge, and that gets you the entrance into Club Titty Boo, and that gives you again it's a nice lead up, a nice information drip of what the pig army is up to, and then. Obviously, all the stuff that you have going on in the club. I think that's where the game really started to endear me for the first time was with the the encounter with uh, DCMC and Kumatora there at the club and trying to get Duster back from. And for from me, them. the DCMC as a as a band almost competes with the Runaway Five. I'd say there's there's a I, good bit of characterization there. I think um, I'm gonna say this, I think they're better than Runaway Five. I think I think so in a way. I mean, I could see Runaway Five being more iconic as NPCs, Absolutely. but in terms of what they do and impact, I think DCMC works really yeah. well. No, and and I like the relationship they have with Duster, and, and again, and it really makes for a nice emotional moment when they come back at the end. Yeah. Um, that the song that they play there, uh, that's part really, of Duster's theme at first. Yeah. 
it really struck me the DCMC song uh, is one of the more emotional tracks in the game. You know, as, as you get up to the end there, I guess we'll talk about it more when we get to New Pork City, but uh, particularly because of then all the investment that you have at Club Tidibu in the first time, the whole game you have to play to win Duster back to your party, they're so reluctant to give him away. He doesn't even know if he wants to go. And, and there's interruptions memory. and they're like, oh, I forgot. And like... It's just it's just really cute to do the rock paper scissors with yeah. all of them, and there's a little bit of a logic puzzle of like, oh, it he is. always does rock, he will always do scissors. They always tie, and that's always yeah. Fun. No, that's fun. I liked that. There's some more puzzly mini game stuff later on that I liked. Again, and this was all stuff that came up towards the end. I was like, ah, I I wish there was more of this in the game. You know, more yeah. some so more stuff. So that moment really sticks out to me. All of the stuff at Club Titty Boo. And uh, Kumatora having to deal with this kind of patronizing uh, attire she has to wear and attitude that she has to put on to work at the club. It, oh, it's, it's really nice for, again, like uh, fleshing out more of her character and getting a better understanding of her in, in that means, you know? It, yeah, it, it helps emphasize that weird gender place where she, she's at because she doesn't like dressing up like that. She doesn't want to be because it's sort of coded as like a oh definitely in like definitely. a like a strip club i should say um and also i would say that it this goes back to the capitalist themes where club titty boo is literally built so that the workers because all the people in tasmalee village now are working for a paycheck because they want money so they are now working at a factory under the pork army and when they get off work they have a club that they can go to to spend their paycheck and mm -hmm. they could forget about their troubles for a little while. And and that is like such a fucking opiate of the masses moment. And it just it just is feels oppressive. Like even when there's not a really big bad guy, the really big ba big bad guy of the area is just a fucking fan in this in the crowd. Yeah, he's you funny. know? Yeah. yeah and, but but the the atmosphere still feels oppressive. And it's 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 just wild to me. I was going to say, yeah, speaking of, uh, like, money and such, that's another interesting thing with the game. Uh, I don't know if you experienced similar, but unlike in Earthbound, I just never had money. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I was... this, this, is, this is tighter on money, yes, 100%. Well, I spent a lot more on, like, I think the just the expendable items cost way more, and you get less. We should also mention the same frogs. This, this should be oh, the yeah. time to mention the frogs. Yeah. So in, instead of calling your dad to save and have money, there are just frogs in the game. And I like the frogs more just because they have little vignettes to them depending on where they are. So like if you're in a retirement home, there's an old frog. And instead yep. of saying save your game, he goes, shave your game, shunny. Like, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just funny. Or like there's one in one moment where he's eaten by a snake and he's just like, you're, you're talking to a snake with a big old frog-shaped belly. And he's like, oh, I'm not losing this fight. I'm, we're, we're locked in a battle. I'm not, I'm not being eaten right now would you like to save your game and then he can also give you money or uh deposit money um i like the frogs idk i do too i i don't know if i like them more than the dent but uh i like them on like a same level again that's how i feel about a lot in mother three so like it's very different from earthbound a lot of ways but i like them and they're doing their own thing equally well you know it's it's a different uh feeling you get from versus the you know incorporation of the dad uh, through the yeah. telephone is saving that feels that feels like it immerses me more in the world yes. i feel less like i'm playing a game and more like i'm on an adventure and yeah the, the frogs feel more 
absurd and comical still very much in the tone with uh, the the style of the series so far and they're they're a nice change for sure i think it's very emblematic of how the different the two games approach the the tone and setting in just very different but equally valid ways yep um okay where were we at we got we still got so much to cover I think, okay, I think that's most of everything that I wanted to cover before we jumped into the needles. Like, that was the thing that you wanted to go to next. There's not a lot to say about the Thunder Tower either. Oh, you know what? There is something to say before the fucking needles. Okay. So, after the Thunder Tower, there is an entire chapter dedicated to sunflowers. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> this should, yeah, we should talk about this. <laughs> um, in chapter six, the party is split again. Um, you basically fall down into a sunflower field and it's sort of meant to be like, uh, you know, in your mind, maybe it's heaven, but it's Hinawa. It's a very peaceful moment. Like, you know what, David, when you said there are moments in earthbound that are meant to give you a breath in this one, it's, this is a moment to give you a breath, but it's not necessarily a breath of like peace. It is, but it's not. Does that make sense? You're worried you're dead. (laughs) but you're walking forward you're going through it you're hearing your mom call out for you you see bony and um it ends up okay and it's just a beat of like you're connecting with your mom for a moment and and apparently afterwards it's clear that like hanawa told people to protect you and bony and duster and kumatora and that's really touching and it really works as a moment it may not necessarily be as like i don't know stand out it doesn't necessarily stand out as much in other ways but it getting its own chapter and having that sentimental impact for me really works i was just uh flipping through some footage here to try and find that situation again and it reminded me there's actually one other thing before that that i I have to emphasize and that's the introduction of my, my my favorite character in the game do it the rope snake. <laughs> oh, dude, he's good. Rope snake's good. He's the other party member, I should say. He's valid. Yeah. 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 So I do like the rope snake a lot. I like his arc. I like his character arc. It's, again, a funny, quirky thing that is very emblematic of, of the series, and I, I enjoy him. <laughs> it's like yeah. he can't carry you all, and then he drops you. He's like, I can do it again. Just trust me. And then he keeps getting ashamed of himself, but he, he works up courage over and over again. Yeah. yeah 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 but yeah the sunflower bit is uh very brief but you're right it's kind of like a reprieve there's other moments more like the coffee in earthbound where it there's is a literal like coffee a... segment oh yeah i think it was tea in the first i don't remember it was a coffee i don't know it's the same thing same principle same concept you you are literally in a spring talking to a mr saturn and the saturn goes hey do you want do you want this and then you have a blue background giving you like oh look how far you've come yep yep same shame spiel and uh I don't know, I, I think it works better in Earthbound, but it still works fine here. Um Yeah, I would I would agree. I think I think it only works in a different way in the sense that Lucas as a character is fundamentally different. We should have said this earlier. Yeah. Lucas is meek and mild, and it's like heavily emphasized that he's much more cowardly than his brother Klaus. So, so him overcoming this and becoming stronger by, you know, overcoming his fears and his anxieties and stuff is like a big deal for him. 
So in that sense, I think it works. But in terms of where it is in the plot, it's really late and it's already been done before. Um, it's mm-hmm. a nice moment if you you know it's a nice callback, but no, it, it's not as effective. Yeah, I I definitely think so. Uh, but again, it's it's fine. There are other seg- there are other things that Mother Three kind of repeats from Earthbound, but twists to be different and yeah. uh, uh, interesting in its own way. I think we talked about it in the last one as well. The uh, the, the the tripping sequence that's kind of akin to Moonside, uh, you could yeah. argue works better here, particularly in how it utilizes all of the people you've met on your journey and turns them into very volatile presences that you have got to fight off. It sort of addresses, because, like, you know, Ness, quote-unquote, addresses his fears and, like, his dark parts in Earthbound. Mm-hmm. But here, Lucas has a lot of darkness in him. So, like, he's confronting a lot of things when he's tripping out with, uh, you know, Flint and Klaus. And, like, it, yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are super dark moments. Um, I wanted to say, I think I like the Mr. Saturns here more. I think the Mr. Saturns here are... <laughs> For me, they really work here. It's... You know what? The first time you really, really see... First time you see one, it's like lying down. And you're like, oh my god, have they been attacked? They have been. But he goes, oh, I'm just looking at the ceiling. Boing! (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, yeah, I know. That's a Mr. Saturn. Yeah. And then then you go into it, and yes, the pork army has occupied the Mr. Saturn village. And then they are being held hostage by a little robot that says mean and scary stories. And they don't, the, the robot does nothing else other than tell them scary stories. And the Mr. Saturns are fucking terrified. It is, it is super funny. I just love it. They're well incorporated. I think, yeah, this is, I want, I do wonder if they were brought back because it just felt like they were so iconic and it wouldn't be a mother game without them now. Or if it really was like a, oh, they're, they're really necessary to conveying the the lineage of this i guess the continuation of this world and it's i don't way. know that, that that's a really good th- I, as said in earthbound i kind of don't get the mr saturn i get them more here because of how stupid they are <laughs> does that make sense like 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 when you get when you get the needle and you come back to saturn village and they're like oh the place is blocked you're we're gonna need you to fly out you need a bird Get a bird. Just one bird's enough. Just just a bird. <laughs> you just have to pick up a bird. And then they get they magically have a bunch of birds and they put them in a cage. And then you have to rope snake your way out of Saturn Village. I don't know. It's fucking funny to me. I just laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I enjoy them. Maybe not as much as you do in this case, but uh I do like the the Mr. Saturn still. I think they're they're deservedly iconic and Or uh the moment now I get to talk about it. The moment where one of them takes your cur- your courage badge. Flint right. gives you a courage badge um, at a certain point in the game. And he's like, you know, I had this. This is a family heirloom. This gives me courage when I really need it. And Mr. Saren's like, give it to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it clean. And, and then he shows up disguised. And he's like, I'm in disguise. <laughs> Let me give you the badge. And it's the Franklin badge, which is a big deal in Mother it's not necessarily a huge narrative thing it is a huge narrative thing here but um it just it works and then he he starts to walk away but like he walks away off screen but if you walk back to the left he's just hiding he's like oh i'm, I'm just here 
bazoing. <laughs> I just think it's funny, man. Um, and I wanted to say, um, there's there's like an East versus. I'm gonna go ahead and say it now because I mentioned the Franklin badge. Um, there's a lot of duality things. We mentioned technology and nature. For me, and we mentioned Star Wars, and I'm going to talk about nostalgia later on when we get to New Pork City. But um, there is an Eastern and Western influence in Mother. I think that's very inherent to the series. But, like, you know, you look at the Star Wars comparisons I just made. Um, in a way, it's condemning Star Wars. But there's, an, there's a layer of irony to Mother 3. That's very important because, like, if you look at Star Wars, it it is like a, an Akira Kurosawa movie meets a fucking Flash Gordon movie, right? And right. it's a melding of East and West influences. And Mother, as a series, is by a Japanese auteur looking at America and commenting on the American childhood life and obviously his own life and obviously other Japanese influences. So there's a weird melding here, right? And... For me, that really shows in different ways, like obviously the family, you know, Hinawa is a pretty Japanese name, all things considered in the context of all the other cast's names. And sunflowers are also a much more meaningful flower in Japan. Um, it's more meaningful in the rural regions of Japan, uh, notable with childhood and peace and sunlight, etc., etc. Um, and also, but Flint is very distinctly Western. Um, he's a cowboy. And yep. he also has the Franklin badge and the only fucking lore to the Franklin badge in these past two games is, is that Benjamin Franklin used the Franklin badge when he got struck by lightning. That is, that is it. So in that way, it's distinctly American as well. So there's these meldings here. And when I, and I didn't understand this theme melding until I got to New Pork City and I saw the hot dog guy and the hot dog guy serves um sushi and a hot dog mixed together and in the description it is called a chimera of food and in oh. this way i realize that there the level of irony is sort of calling mother three a chimera on its own it's a game that's anti-technology and anti-happy boxes but it's a video game you right. know what i mean there, yep. there's there's an awareness to everything an appreciation that maybe it's not uh bad and good you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. There's... I don't know. That shit was that shit was cool to me. Yeah, no, I think you're bringing up a lot of very interesting parallels and juxtapositions, uh, particularly with like all sorts of other kind of outside media and influences here. And again, particularly that that East and West uh, reference point there. Again, a lot, lot of evidence to back that up. That's just really interesting. That I I didn't necessarily catch on my own. Obviously, I saw a lot of the the reference points and such. But yeah, specifically and how it all ties back to this chimeric theming of things. How this this you know combination of the, the this, I don't know I guess ungodly combination you could even call <laughs> yeah. it of of things that weren't necessarily meant to be and how and, the and, game and, itself is uh, yeah. a criticism and and embodiment of all of these things. So yeah. It, it, a reflexive uh, commentary on the state of media and influences and also, you know, cultural differences and the melding thereof. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and another way to say it, this this also ties into the Chimera thing. More specifically, the Chimeras. Let's talk about them real quick. I think the creature designs are really, really cool. Um, but I also think in the theme sense, um, there is there is a nice blending of... 
I guess the only way to say it is mythical. It feels fantastical that you combine these things together. And it looks ridiculous, and in some ways it's horrific. But also, there's a sort of uh, irony to it as well with mermaids, for instance, or the centaur, Sagittarius type, that give you oxygen and kiss you and nourish you. And also, just in a deeper myth sense, chimeras are innately tied to mythology. So there is a deeper sense of maybe these things aren't the end of the world. And that's also an important thing in Japanese or even Western philosophy is that the end of the world isn't necessarily the end of everything. It could be the beginning to something new. And I think the ending plays a lot with that. Mm -hmm. I I think so. You know, I think the chimeras are a really good transition point to the next section of the game, which is the chimera factory that you go through. Oh my gosh. Did did you have any immediate impressions with the, the factory? Um... I like, I like, uh, I like them. Uh, I, dude, I will say the fucking metal lion whooped my ass. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the ultimate chimera is really cool in a survival horror sense. Oh yeah. You just avoid it. That is the goal. And, uh, I like Dr. Antonuts. Those are my notes. Yeah, that, that's fair. Those are all the big highlights. Uh, obviously the, the ultimate chimera gave me the spooks big time. Uh, I was I was deathly afraid of it, so it, I thought it was very effective in that sense. It got me a number of times, and I, you know it was funny because I I was familiar with the ultimate chimera from a conceptual point as a stage hazard in Brawl, but uh, it, it definitely felt very different again wandering around the factory and like just trying not to run into it and hoping you don't <laughs> bump. But but at a certain point it stops being an issue. It's just locked in these specific areas. Uh, yeah. Dr. Ananas being there is interesting. And again, another continuation. Uh, poor him. Poor, you know, for, for him being stuck here. He uh, seems like okay with it. Isn't that weird? I mean, I guess that tracks with his kind of characterization, this kind of callousness that he has. He's towards, a little cold. He's cold yeah. and cowardly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he hides in, I noticed this time around, this is my first time noticing, he hides in a garbage ba- uh, can like Lloyd and his dad. Um, yeah, which one. is an interesting mother one callback. Um, but yeah, uh, he just seems like he seems okay with anything. I find it interesting that he's like, Oh, I can tell that you have a quest in your eyes. Like he could tell that Lucas has a mission. That's nice. So th- this was another frustrating point for me though. I'll say again, where, where it was hard for me to appreciate him because I just did not see the trash can at first. Like, cause I'm running <laughs> around trying to evade the chimera. I'm looking for the monkeys I can't find them anywhere, and you can't actually discover them until act- after you talk to Andronuts, who just shows up there in a trash can. He wasn't there before. The trash can wasn't there before, as far as I'm aware. And so I just walked all over the place, like, five times, trying to find the monkeys and just having no idea until I eventually found them. And that, and that was a bit of another frustration thing for me, like the, the wall staple spot earlier. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, did you yeah. know Andronuts was in this going into it? Nope. No, I did not know that. <laughs> was it exciting? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I wasn't expecting him. And then it, it took me, obviously, a while until, like, the end, really, to figure out how the hell he was here to begin yeah. with. <laughs> like, Yeah, it, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> yeah, so he's obviously one of the more prominent uh, aspects of, like, lineage for the series. <laughs> connection between Mother 2 and Mother 3 here. Yep. Uh, but uh, at, at the same time, if you didn't know 
that he was from Mother Two. Like if it's you, fine if you played Mother. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't matter either way. He's just a you know he's he's feels fitting in this location and it makes sense yeah. that he's doing what he's doing here. But yeah, uh, I did not notice him at first, and so I spent a while wandering around that area of the game. R.I.P. Um, now do you want to get to the needles? Yeah. Yeah, I think as you said before, there's not like too much to say. It's just kind of like your typical quest stuff. Your typical MacGuffin, go to this area, chase this thing, beat yeah. the boss before this, etc. I find some of them interesting. Again, we cited the snow one. I don't like the lava one with fucking facade. Because the facade fight is hard and then you get out <sighs> of it. Yeah. And, and there's no like say, like regen. Nothing. But, yeah. And you're like, That's... oh my god. So I lose the fucking Majipsy fucking gift because every time they go yep. away, they give you a, a like a lipstick gift that and allows like you to a... revive in battle, which is super right. useful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I agree. That is one thing that was never a problem in Earthbound. Once you got to the end of a, of a section, you were done, you were healed. And then backtracking was also easy because, again, all the enemies would hide. And that's yeah. not always the case with the dungeon uh, parts in Mother 3. There was definitely one. I'm pretty sure the same one that I had uh, experienced there with you um, uh, in, in the lava one where just, like, getting out was a fucking hassle because yeah. the, the fight was intense and you're going to be low on health and uh, PP. And then you literally have you, – you can't avoid enemies on your way back and you might die just trying to get back or you'll lose the important item that you get uh, otherwise and the items aren't meant to be used you know you don't need to like hold on to them they're a resource that should be expended as necessary but uh the the mementos are very valuable <laughs> so you don't want to just give them away to random enemies on the way out of the the encounter so yeah that yeah. that definitely sucks and was annoying and i think unnecessary they got it right the first time in mother 2 there's no reason to be regressive on it i agree um, it's not as tight of a game as Mother 2. For me, yeah. I, for me, it's like the looseness where there's like a depth to it. It's almost like there's a weight to it that it can't necessarily be as pristine. Um, I enjoy the uh, underwater segment where you have to hold your breath. It's a little annoying because oh, I had tedious. to go through it like twice, but mm -hmm. otherwise it was fun. It's not unreasonable. Uh, even when you gotta, you, you want to go do the side stuff that they kind of go get the hidden items or whatever they have, you've got plenty of time to do it, and it's not too punishing. And you can get a sense of the movement pretty quickly, and you know, you get from one uh, air spot to the next. But uh, I guess it continues the trend of water levels being very annoying in video games. Yeah. No. Um. <laughs> I I guess I guess we should just lead into. Before we fully talk about um, the last bit, New Pork City, um, I wanted to say that this game is also clearly anti-fascist. Um, Absolutely. That's, yeah, this, yeah. This, it's, it's notable, and I paid attention to it this time around with Earthbound. I looked at po Pokey's characterizations in Earthbound, and at the very end of Earthbound, he says, I side with whoever's strongest, which is a very might is right uh mythology which is the fucking fascist mythology and this might is right has turned into a very gross thing because he's in charge and he's a fucking child he is like a child dictator who just <laughs> wants to destroy everything because he's bored and he doesn't yeah. think you know it's just so interesting in that way um so yeah the game is super anti-fascist 
Um, you know, he wants to make everyone happy and his friend. That is one of his goals. And then his other goal is to reset to nothingness. He wants to just fucking wait, like, remove all the needles with his Klaus. And then when the, when, when the end comes, it'll just be him and the dragon. And that is, that is like a very nihilistic view. He is just an awful person. Possibly tragic. We can get to that later. But I, I just found it so interesting how coded the pork army was. Yeah, and and I think, again, the anti-fascist imagery obviously, again, draws a lot with the Star Wars parallel, which, again, is also attempting to be inherently anti-fascist. They're literally called stormtroopers. Like, the allegory there is not allegory. It's just the, the literal <laughs> It is what it is. Yeah. They're, they're just, they're Nazis uh, in space, and now they're pork Nazis, and that's that's You're fighting facts. pigs now, too. So. Yeah, but, which, again, is also, in and of itself, very overt in what it's, you know, kind of drawing a parallel between between the abuses yeah. uh you know abuse of authority figures and you know the the characterization of the police that we have through you know uh the the, the pig theming there exactly it, it it's kind of it it's it's smart to me it's smart um but you get picked up in a limousine and you go to new pork city what were your thoughts going into new pork city all right i, I think there's a bit of irony here because new pork city was like the first environment I felt like I was actually free to explore and get a yeah. sense of in the game where yes. I wasn't being railroaded straight to an objective. And I had time to get a sense of the setting, soak in the environment, understand the, the, the impact of the situation and the character of the, the place and everything that had led up to now. Like I didn't feel like I was being pushed straight forward. So it reminded me a lot more of earthbound in that regard and that I had yeah. the time and the freedom to understand where I was and pick up on the environmental and, storytelling. And part of that may be intentional in design because a lot of it is literally just um, like, it feels it's meant to feel a little bit more like earthbound. I mean, there's you know literally, I mean? there's literally yeah, I, a movie theater. I'm, I'm being coy about it, but it's a, little a movie theater that just shows you, the highlights from Earthbound, like you go yeah. to the theater there, and it's all of the major, you know, events being shown on a screen from Earthbound, and yeah. it, and it makes you to, to you know draw that specific uh, parallel and, and consider that. But yeah, just from a gameplay perspective, I also got the sense and the music when that first up. I love the theme for New Pork City. It's I think the song is called like Is this what you call the Utopia or something along those lines, <laughs> which again yeah. is really great and it's really great and in, in indicative of the character here of it. This very hollow sense of um, glamour that the, yeah. the city is emanating with here, and that in and of itself again, ironically. I found more endearing and inviting as an environment than anything in like Tasmil, just, just as an example yeah. of being able to explore and run around and see. And I, again, I think there's an irony there in that the, the place that gave me the greatest sense of satisfaction in being was the faux utopia that is basically just a fascist hellscape. Yeah, no, and but also there is like a, it's not entirely ironic because it also, it, it is a, a payoff to the setups. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We saw the corrupting influence, and now that he's gathering everybody for a party, so these are like the last moments you see of a lot of NPC characters. Um, so that's that's super interesting. And then you see Mother Two NPCs, and <laughs> and it's kind of crazy to see them. And it's it's just it's just a cool area in general. I like the arcade. 
Um, yeah. I like, I like, uh, I like, there's a, there's like a restaurant with Pokey's mom. Um, that's mm. super fun. I remember seeing Venus. Venus was one that stuck out to Venus, me. Venus, yes. Venus is pretty much the big one where she's like, oh, you know, you can go up to the fucking big thing. Um, there's also the giant statue of Porky yep. that I enjoy. Did you, I, did you fight that boss? Oh, it is a boss. I see. I, I didn't know because I remembered it from Brawl being something that you dealt with. It is a like, boss. I was expecting to fight it, but I didn't. I was like, oh, okay. I guess it wasn't it's optional. Thing. What you do is, is after, after you find leader or actually it's after you beat facade, um, you go back to the statue and you like, look at it like three times and then you fight it. However, it's got 9,999 HP. Oh shit. <laughs> the, the secret to fighting the boss is literally either PK flash. Cause sometimes PK flash drops the enemy down to one HP or, mm -hmm. um, there's a new year's bomb below the tree. The, the new year's bomb also drops people down to one HP. However, that doesn't work all the time. So you have to buy like multiple of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I did not realize that. Uh, when, when you talk to it, uh, do, like three times, you said, is it immediately apparent? Like, does it tell you to keep it talking? To uh, it yeah. Cause what, what happens is instead of like, when you look at it, it goes like the original time. It's like, Oh, look at the magnificent Porky. It seems as though he's guarding the city. Um, the, after you beat facade and you look at it, it says it looks at, it's looking at you with a hostile gaze and, and then like mm. you look at it again and it's like, it's still looking at you with a hostile gaze. Okay. And then, th and then the third time is like, Oh, do you want to return the hostile gaze? And uh, then the boss fight happens. Okay. I, I like that. I think that's less out of the way as far as an optional boss fight. The optional boss fights I did were, I did the one in pokey's room or whatever back at the club i think it is the, I don't the, exactly. the robot mellow with the yo-yo yeah with the yo-yo yeah because I, I just i was exploring around the room i was like ooh, yo-yo and then yeah that put me into the boss fight uh yep. and then the, the 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 sad man thing negative man <laughs> yeah 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 that guy he's he's iconic yeah what, what an iconic enemy um the thing i liked about negative man i looked this up this is not me just knowing this off the top um Negative Man references two uh, things in Earthbound and Mother One. Um, he references number one, um, I am just a worthless protoplasm. Right, and, right. That and, that, and that is an enemy in Earthbound. And he also says, um, life is just a, 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 an insignificant grain of sand, which is a lyric from the uh, Magicant of... Uh, uh, flying men in the ost mm. of the original mother game where deep they cut. say life is just a grain of sand so deep, cut. deep cuts yeah we got they got some deep cuts here man um either way that stuff is super interesting it's just funny because he doesn't attack he just cries it's just right it's a it's a it's kind of a depressing fight it's not really a boss fight it's just it's a, it's a slaughter he's <laughs> just fucking beating up on him and he's like if life is worthless you're like yeah, yeah well it yeah, is what it is um <laughs> uh what where was i oh i think it's interesting when we get to leader yeah it's um again controversial i would say it it, is it is it controversial What's by the, controversial the... i mean he dumps all of the exposition yeah, on you yeah so huge, it may not be huge a exposition dump. i'm like is this good storytelling uh i don't know but it's an interesting story i'll give it that at least and and also well i mean like it's is it the most graceful way no like um, it, the game literally has to prep you it's like 
I'm about to dump a bunch of information on you at once. Are you ready to receive this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting because leader has like a silent Bob role. At the start of the game, he just rings a bell and that's all he does. He doesn't it talk be, to you. It should be said, he's a fucking giant man. In he's the very tall. <laughs> and, and that is also the reason why he's called leader because, you know, back in the old world, that was a word for leader. Like the leader yeah. of people. But they only chose him because he's really tall. Yep. And that's like really the, the the arbitrary distinction of this giant man, like this literally inconceivably giant person is is just so they have like a specific person to stand out. I guess that also ties in with this kind of outsider narrative that the, the game is also presenting yeah. through its most prominent people is that he's also a kind of outsider and that's why he's selected as he's the meant to stick retainer. out. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, that, that works with this though, but it's, he's just unbelievably tall. <laughs> So, okay, Leader is telling you uh, what we've kind of already said before. This is a post-apocalyptic story. There was an old world. People fought. The world came to an end. And there was a white ship that saved people. And the people are the villagers of Tasmali. And they are just pretending and living a false life. They chose a false life and they just lived it. And it was fine until Porky came along. And there's a lot more to be said there. But how did you feel during the text dump? Because I know this part wasn't spoiled in Smash Bros. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a lot to take in. It was, uh, it, it felt very metaphorical more so yes. than it was, a, it was a big aspect of it. Because obviously uh, it, it talks about these in a kind of conceptual thing. You know, the way it talks about this white ship or the, the dragon and such and, and all of that. So it felt mo far more metaphorical than literal in that sense. Yeah. But it did feel like a, a strong like kind of mythology that was told about the place, this world that we're inhabiting now, about what came before. I think there is obviously like a literal extent because of the connection that the game has to Mother 2. There's obviously a continuity there that has to be uh, explained. But there's still obviously more, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot vaguer in that, in very prosaic, I guess you, you would yeah. uh, characterize it as in that sense. But yeah, the, the presentation is just a big information dump which uh it, if you're willing to accept i think is well told it's well written at least uh, yeah again it's, yeah it's uh, fine it's not i would not praise this scene it's not graceful is what <laughs> it's i'll not say graceful, but, no. but it's, it's about it's the best way if you if you had to go through this method this is probably the best way of presenting it's not offensive I, I yes would, I yeah 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 i i agree um i wouldn't want another chapter doing explaining this you know no, what I mean? but it's it's a lot it's just it's a lot to take in and it's a lot of very kind of like poetically worded language about the world that came before maybe i wish that it was drip fed a little bit throughout instead if we got hints of this but uh you know I, I think it's very interesting narrative still and backstory yeah. for, for all of this. And again, this, but... this goes back to a lot of things. Like you were, you were saying it in a metaphorical sense. I 100% agree. That was kind of what I was referring to when you were talking about the villagers, not necessarily feeling fully realized is because this, this setting, this fantasy setting is a lot like Magicant and Mother 1. There's even Magicant shells in Mother 1. I'm not necessarily saying that the world is fake, but the world is fake. They literally built it out of, you know, what they wanted it to be rather than honesty. They erased their memories and they built what they want, a place where they wanted to be, right? 
So mm -hmm. in this sense, Leader even says about the Osohei Castle stuff. It's like they didn't make a mythology. Do you, you know, do you ever wonder why no one talks about a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? It's because we didn't fucking think that far. We didn't think that far into building these fake things. And part of that may be a toy being like, I wish we could have um, in a development sense, but also a part of it is just reflective onto the characters of like, cause memory is a big theme in the game. And yeah. because of the human race lost their memories, these the surviving members, there's a sort of controversy of like, did the memories, would the memories have ruined them? Did it redeem them? Or is it ultimately damning them to the same fate? You know what I mean? I, I think what's really nice about the leader aspects in this narrative that he conveys and all the context of the people coming from the other world is that it makes it so that the peaceful idyllic utopia of Tasmili village is itself not conveyed as this stark representative monolith of a ideal and good existence versus yes. the the tyranny of capitalism on the other exactly. end there it's very clear that the people who came from the other world fu fucked up you know they, yes. they fucked up their own world and they're escaping and again trying to purge any responsibility of that from their existence by basically placing it on a, a single figure to inhabit this and trying to ignore the consequence of their actions. And I think there's an implication in leaders telling of this story that it's very plausible that they would fuck it up again. Yes. And, and Porky even says that Porky says that spoiler alert later on where it's like, you people are stupid. You think that you could just erase your memories and everything's going to be fucking hunky dory. Yeah. And, and he's he's not wrong. You know what there, I mean? There's a sense of regret in the language that Leader has that I think he's very clearly understanding that this solution that they proposed was half-baked at best. Yes. You know, it it was very clearly just kind of like a slapdash, you know, uh, attempt at, like, uh, you know, escaping and n not just the, the scenario, but the responsibility of it. And just trying to create this uh, idyllic world by purging any uh, of what they perceive to be the the bad ideas that came with them. I and I, again, I think there's to an extent is uh, a lot to say that the world of Tasmili, the citizens, the you know the people there, that's it, not the idyllic comparison. I don't, and the fact that I don't find it inviting as an environment is maybe indicative of that. That, that's uh, it, that's what itself. I was trying to get out earlier was like the poorly developed histories, dynamics, and even those moments of like, is this actually a paradise? Um, yeah, like this, this sort of opens it into a, a nuance that I think works. Um, that, and that's why I don't mind the text crawl. Whereas like, I think there's a lot to chew on. Yeah, I, I guess for me, uh, as, as a player, like I would feel like the absence <laughs> yeah. of... As the absence of character that you get in the beginning of the game would be better informed if it felt like an intentional absence, like you were noticing a lack of character in there, whereas it just felt more so from like a presentational point playing through, like, oh, I, I just don't think I'm being presented with this well. But uh, obviously the context you get from leader can color that differently, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, any issues I have, I think, with the game are m more so in execution than ever in concept, Yeah. Uh, ultimately. Uh, they're, they're, I think it's a very well-fleshed-out narrative uh, with, with a lot of nuance and, again, a lot of different 
themes and complicated ideas and dichotomies to explore here far more than in mother two for sure but the ambition the, does not necessarily translate to execution yeah versus whereas the the execution in earthbound is some of the best i've experienced in any game you know in terms of what it sets out to achieve and how it achieves that is it, it definitely blows me away in ways that uh yeah just don't in the same vein as mother three but again it feels it feels like i have to compare the two because they they do do so many similar things but also at the same time they're so radically different in their aims that it feels unfair to just say oh which one do you like better which one is the better game which you know is is ever the argument in the community it seems people are torn between which one is better even me and you here you say this is one of your top 10 games and uh this is kino dog yeah, and it, and it definitely but, is. I say but it's like, great. Also, this goes back to an approach of appreciation because I am way less focused on execution. I am I am more like, what what is more this forgiving. bringing to the table? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely get that. And, and you know, it, it just also, I guess, a difference in uh, how things prioritize. I don't know. You know, people have different priorities and what they value in art. Uh, and uh, especially, at least for games, narrative is not as much of a priority for me i very rarely uh will will value the narrative of a game over the function and the gameplay of something because that feels like the unique aspect that's the thing that a game can do that something else couldn't like could you make mother 3 a book and it worked just as effectively i think that's quite possible uh i don't think that's true of earthbound uh in, yeah. in the same vein in terms of what they aim to achieve in, in conveying to the player i don't necessarily think that that is the only way to like measure it. i get. i guess what i'm saying yeah. is is i don't need mother three to be the most game there has ever been I, sure sure I, um, and, I and also i would say that like i suppose for you possibly the most redeeming factor then would be the battle system because like i do think the battle system has dramatically upgraded maybe yeah. not so much the level design or enemy encounter design but the the actual gameplay yeah an- another thing that should be said about the battle design which we touched on but didn't like really emphasize is again the the implementation and the focus on buffs and debuffs a lot more that is such a priority and it's such an intuitive priority it should be said about mother three uh, as well like you don't need the game telling you oh you should really focus on putting your offense up and lowering the enemy's defense every turn like you just get that you know as as you go along that that's just going to be the best thing to do things like D- duster's tools being like a free way just to do that particularly against bosses it's very intuitive and, and very good to understand so each party member has a distinct role that's much more des- defined than even in mother 2 which itself yeah. is already fairly you know well indicative of what the characters should be doing and how they should should operate within the battles but again yeah. that combined with the musical system which again my only criticism is that i'm not good enough it at and that's <laughs> that's that's a great criticism to have at least to acknowledge where your own shortcomings as a player are and not necessarily in the design well i think uh, also know. a lot of it's practice you know what i mean it, yeah i mean but i i, I tried it the whole game i never gave up <laughs> but yeah like do do i wish it was easier yeah do i think that it needs to be changed nah, no you know i could just be better at you know timing things you could get good yeah yep. yeah um, and, and and you don't need to be good at it to get through the game no is the other no it's thing. not necessary at all to beat the game yeah it's an entirely supplemental feature but again another way in which it dynamicizes the combat as the rolling hp bar did for mother 2 and it continues and improves on that. So yeah, I, I think that it is 
better. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't really make it's an hard, argument for why Mother say, Two would yeah. be be a better system. You know, the 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 music uh, thing, the timing doesn't worsen it in any way for sure. It don't, it's only again another tool, and it doesn't make it way too easy either. Um. I'm trying to think. Uh, are we done with the leader segment? I'm trying to think if there's anything important that I wanted to say about the leader stuff. I think. Uh, I mean, I, I think we covered it well. Again, is it clunky? Maybe. Yeah. Kind of. Is it a lot very interesting? Uh, yeah, I think it's very interesting uh, conveyance. I think it's a very interesting revelations that you get to for it. And again, uh, it gives you a lot of emotional feeling as well uh, because of the way in which it's conveyed through the language specifically. This interesting unfolding of the the mystery of of everything and the the backstory and again this very you know prosaic language in a way that gives you this uh sense of things in a more metaphorical existential you know kind of wide-ranging sense as opposed to then mm -hmm. just a very literal they've got on a ship to escape a world and then release their memories of everything yeah yeah it's 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 much more underlying the themes regarding humanity it, and yeah trauma. that's that's what i was gonna say it's a story about humanity in a more abstract sense than it is about these particular people who traveled from this world that they lost like the particular yeah, denizens exactly. of tasmili it is it is more of a commentary on humanity um and that totally ties into the ending with both the boss fight and the post fight which we will talk about later do you want to keep going off going into the building i want to say yeah there's especially the building itself but there's huge onet vibes and there's huge four side vibes huge monotoly building vibes oh for sure i mean like very much so you've got the echo of that in terms of like i mean this is a big city that feels way more like a big city than Foresight does yeah. admittedly it, it feels more like the new york city ripoff than Foresight does i don't know Foresight definitely feels big in comparison to like on it and stuff but uh there's only like a handful of things to do there the museum and the quote-unquote cafe and such but yeah then there's a the monotoly building new new fork city feels lively for sure for sure it's got uh i mean and it feels very dolled up we, we, again we, which is part of the fun of exploring it like i said again it, it makes an impression when you first get there so that's why perhaps it sticks out as the most iconic spot um I, I i loved i think my favorite part of the building is porky on the intercom taunting you throughout the entire visit yeah just all of the 100 floors that you end up going through you think you're at the end every time and then he gives you more taunting uh i don't know i mean like like i said i think emotionally one of the the hardest moments hardest hitting moments for me was that last concert, that reunion that comes with DCMC. Yeah. Uh, at the very beginning, when you first go up to the beginning of, of New Pork City, 
the the reunion of that uh really pays off the investment they put in the relationship between the band and duster from before and so when they play their anthem uh it really feels like again the culmination of all of those moments that we've kind of been referring to throughout here where the mother games stop and put on a show for you and it gives you this time to kind of like reflect on things and i think emotionally that's that music also just resonates with me even more than some of the other ones and that's one of the big reasons why i liked the dcmc more than the runaway five as iconic and fun and personable as the runaway five are uh emotionally they they're not that impactful um yeah and especially like because dcmc also rescues um the party later on um in the same way in the the same exact way the same way but like for me i don't know there's just more it feels like more of a payoff you know what i mean um it just feels nice um i especially like the moment where duster has his own or i guess lucky um has his own like little bass solo it's just so nice and like even the fans are excited lucky came back yep i'm also just a sucker for a good saxophone so the the saxophone there's a lot of horns in in this soundtrack oh it just sends me it's such a such a great uh band there i would i would go see them i would be a huge dcmc fan (laughs) yeah there you go you'd have all the memorabilia you know i would i would i would i would (laughs) they'd be my weakness i'd be like the boss the big pig man boss Uh, um unironically i think one of my favorite floors is the bathroom floor I mean, it's a whole dungeon, basically, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. And then and then you get near the end, and it's got statues of Porky just pissing. And he's like, "How do you feel about being in my toilet? It feels fucking good, doesn't it?" He just that is like that is the pettiest, and I just love it. There's the bathroom sign that attacks you and like almost kills you. <laughs> oh yeah, and the fucking ultimate chimera comes back. Yep, yep, and that's where one of the secret items is. You gotta lure it out, and then you can go back in and get the uh, is is it Kumatora's item? I think it's I the remember. gloves. Yeah, I think she's got gloves. I don't remember off the top, but yes. Yeah, so that's that's like a nice jump scare moment. And then uh, also we should say, obviously, there's a lot of Mother Two references. But in the sewers and in this building are a lot of Mother 2 enemies. Like? Uh, the fucking... Oh, my God. Obviously, for the sewers, there's, like, the putrid multi-men. Um, the, some of the... Oh, right, 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 Some of the robots and stuff... Like, okay, so, like, some of them are slightly altered. Like, the robo-octopus but... type is slightly oh, okay, different. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of others. There's one that also... What's the one that blows up after you hit it? Oh, Oh, it's like the refilling robot. Yes, or something, it's right? like a refilling gasoline yeah. robot. That one is also present again. Um, yeah, just just nice little things like that. And also, there's a there's a section of the map. There's like vats, and they put people. Yeah. they put people in them. And again, it's so Porky can brainwash everybody. But also, you get like some Mother One vibes because in Mother One, there's like a room where there's a bunch of humans in like giant vats. Well, also in Mother 2, because that's exactly oh, yes. where uh, Apple Kid and Dr. Andronuts would be kept in the uh, Starman yep. base. I like the frog that's in there, who's also a save frog. Dude, I love... I, those are my favorite save frogs. I also liked... Uh, I didn't say it earlier, but the ultimate 
or like the chimera lab frog in the room with the bunch of uh dead animals he looks like he's stuffed at first he's like no nah, i'm not stuffed you can save your game yeah yeah they're they're fun and uh yeah it's it's a nice lengthy final dungeon area lots lots to explore Ooh, uh, uh throughout the whole way another important thing to remember how would you feel about the set piece where the chauffeur comes back and basically you have to play with a robot porky i i loved those sections again this is i was kind of referring to earlier with like the rock paper scissors bit and stuff there were these nice mini games uh parts that were thrown in and actually at first i messed it up because i just won the, the game yeah you, and you, then it was like, like oh no you're not supposed to do that i was like okay he even okay, hints it to you I... he was like hey if you could use oh, he your does. discretion I would recommend that. Yeah, he does, but I wanted to do it correct anyway. I wanted to win it anyway, so I did it. And then uh, maybe go back and do it again. I was like, okay, I get the shtick. It, it says <laughs> so much about Porky's character that he wants someone that he thinks he could compete with, but he has like so much arrogance and pride that you just can't, like he does not want anyone to actually win. And that says a lot about what goes on in the game too, because it's very clear that there are points in time where Porky lets you have things or lets you do things. And it's like, cause he's bored and he wants someone to compete with, but when, when the going gets tough, he still wants to win. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed them a lot just from a gameplay perspective of, again, it was a nice witch up and a nice challenge kind of like pu puzzly thing, mm -hmm. I guess you would call it. Uh, and it's a, it's a nice uh, change up from the gameplay that I don't know. I can't even think uh, did, did earthbound have anything kind of like that. Nothing really no, where no, this is, it just yeah. entirely changed what you're supposed to do. But again, something, something I would have liked even more of there's, there's a little bit of it in the majority of the game, mm -hmm. but not nearly as much as you get at the end here with these like one after another kind of mini game challenge thing. Yeah, this whole this whole chapter is like a minute by minute like there's a new thing going on. There's a new like I feel like a little kid just like going whoa whoa whoa. It it throws so many things at you whether it's nostalgia or just like a new gimmick or a new area yeah. or a joke. Like it like everything ramps up super fast. And I think that's why later on that some of the emotional beats don't work is because that entire chapter is like an overload um in in a good sense but also like it by the end i'm almost like stunted where it's like okay all right i'm i'm ready to get this shit done i can see that again for me the game came to life even more with new pork city and with all of these things i was way more engaged in this last section than i were for a lot of the earlier parts of that's it. fair and uh I, yeah again it's 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 hard to say exactly why because i think you make a lot of good points about how all of these decisions are commentaries on uh, uh our relationship with media and with games and with nostalgia yeah. in particular but ironically i i again i i enjoyed this section like i, I haven't even given the nostalgia spiel yet we're we're not even at I know. that point yet um there's what'd you think of the giant pig robot um i mean is i enjoyed it i think it's, it's as a giant far pig as robot, anything else yeah. it's high yeah um, but going into that, then there is the Mother One theme. There's like a long hallway yeah. with the Mother One That's intro. A
that's a big thing I, I wrote here. I said, hearing the Mother One theme after defeating the natural killer cyborg gave me the same sense of accomplishment in, as hearing the sanctuary music after defeating a boss in Earthbound. There you go. It was really, it was really just like this sense of relief and again, like sanctuary. I guess, I guess the point in that sense, like I, you know, I, I, I felt this nirvana kind of wash over me at the end and part of that was definitely the nostalgia and it was very informed from playing mother one because that opening theme is just so brilliant so serene mm -hmm. and so it really felt like this earned peace after you defeated this really intense boss fight yeah so i thought it was placed very brilliantly there it was utilized very well uh and, and yeah again another indication of uh, uh another merit as to why people should play all of the games you know, the, the previous two games before this. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like, it just gives you a completely different context. And it's, like, something that's, like, kind of hard to... It's hard to justify. It's like, yes, spend XYZ amount of hours in Mother 1 having, like, an eh time for this payoff. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, it, it hits different. I don't know. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it really hit for me. And maybe it would have hit, uh, you know, in the same just, like functional sense uh you know in terms of that it's a very serene song and it feel would feel that relief but there was definitely a rewarding sense you know in this return sense to to something familiar like that yeah that was really beautiful and then that followed immediately by the walk through the <laughs> the nostalgia room i guess we would call it yeah it's it's literally like okay so you walk in pollyanna plays and for context uh-huh um, Pollyanna is the first song you get in Mother One when you walk out of the house. It's like the overworld theme pretty much for Podunk. And it's also like the overworld theme before you get um, a party member. And after that, it, being friends becomes like the main song. Um, that being said, Mother Two, it's like the indoor song. It's like the song you have when you're inside uh, your house with your mom. So, like, both of those are very... And, like, Pollyanna, as a song, is very optimistic, very childlike, super lovely, um, and also just nostalgic. So, this entire boat ride is a nostalgic Disneyland small world ride. It really does feel like... It feels like a museum tour because of how things are just displayed and you're just sitting on the boat going past them. In my notes, uh, after the, the Mother One note, I literally just wrote... Dungeon Man in all caps. Yeah, he came back. Exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. I was just so excited to see him along with everything else. There's like the Runaway 5 bus there. They brought Tessie. Yeah, yeah. The Tessie's back. That's really cool. Your dad's phone is there too. I just assume that's dad. I assume that's Ness's dad. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Space Runner the eraser statue mm -hmm. and and, and fun, uh, funny story um that eraser statue was redone by the localization team for mother three because I'm, it would have to yes, be right it had to have been yes they did it uh, that's really cool that they did that as well like you, you could have just obviously not and just lived with you know, it but no just called it a day but they went through it no that's a real deal yeah they got like a bunch of callbacks there to the game and, and, and these are all these like trophies that are like that Porky's collected basically from Ness's adventure, which is its own interesting obsessive commentary. Yeah, you know? and it's so weird because like the first time we see it is in way back when, before you even technically know it's Porky, um, during that tower thing, that optional boss with the yo-yo. Yeah, because he because yep. he like has his friends yo-yo, his friends yo-yo in a pedestal, and it's like don't touch the friends yo-yo. Um, it's just such a fascinating dynamic, and then when you go to New Pork City. 
they fucking have a movie theater with Earthbound. And, like, you can buy Ness shirts and hats and a baseball bat. That's like, this is the Ness baseball bat. It's called the fake bat. Um, and it's it's just such a surreal Disney moment. Like, the way I say it is, like, for me, this is, like, a perverted thing. Like, I think I there is a level where it's like, oh, yeah, the nostalgia. I love seeing Tessie again. Dungeon Man, this is great. They fucking brought the sesame seeds back. Wow. But Yeah, they had the sesame seeds for there, too. But, but on a deeper level um it there's there's a twisted thing it speaks number one to porky not having a friend and him weirdly considering ness as a friend but also says something to like him enforcing this this old story that doesn't matter anymore you know what i mean and it matters to us the player and it matters to other things but like porky is stuck as a child and we are we are going through our own adventure you know, if Earthbound was stuck in referencing Mother One and was drenched in Mother One's iconography in like a bad way, in a negative nostalgia way, there would be a problem. Does that make sense? And it's not a problem here. It more just so defines the character and defines those aspects of memory. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little called out, honestly, um, now, now that you're mentioning it, because I've got this giant plush collection of Pokemon that I might have to get rid of now because it's, it's starting to make me feel like maybe this is a bad thing is what you're saying is, here is that... it i don't know if it is i don't necessarily think <laughs> nostalgia is bad the way i said it was like you know ness missing missing his favorite meal and missing his mom is like good nostalgia right. that's healthy nostalgia whereas like whatever the fuck porky's doing is not good <laughs> like like whatever porky's doing is bad that is the any themes you get from this game th those are that it's that. Yeah. If you, if you walk away with anything, it's that Porky is bad. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a very nuanced and deep story. <laughs> no, but like, and there's a tragedy to Porky. We can go on. But like, for me, and this ties back into what I was saying about like, the, the Nowhere Islands being a realm of imagination or lies or like this fantasy thing where people have set it up. Um, it just reflects onto the imagination. And then it's like this porky world is not imagination it's it's simple shit it's it's disney world i don't know how else to say it this this is a condemnation of disney world is what i'm trying to say anyways we can move on as soon as you get past that area you finally meet a porky right the porky robots yeah um how'd you feel about that whole segment ah that was a lengthy battle wasn't it there was like there's a lot of them. Yeah, up until now, you've mostly just been dealing with the three enemies on screen at a given time. Uh, never really any more than that. I think there was like one or two where like an extra pig grunt or whatever would come in. But yeah, it's just like an endless fight. And then that's when the DCMC swings in and saves the day, right? Yep. No, yep. And uh, also uh, Dr. Andonuts comes in and then you see the real Porky who looks horrifying i don't even think smash did it justice no not necessarily there's uh i think i think the surprising thing that i was not expecting based on what i knew about porky and his device is that he it, does he have a beard yes yeah he clearly has a beard yeah yeah that's what i thought and it's it, it's very odd because i i didn't get that from the smash sense but yeah he's very clearly like old older old old even and has put himself in this revitalizing device which you've been seeing uh, a lot up until now these which are carryover from mother 2 as well yeah. the revitalizing machines they're all over 
the the building and what Porky's in is kind of like an advanced one of those. It but it's like. also reminiscent of his Earthbound's uh, spider machine yeah. of the end. You know what I mean? Which is also on the <laughs> yeah, boat ride. Yeah. You see the original one there. He also got the phase distorter. That's crazy. Did you get that? I mean, I mean, I assume he 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 wiped it. You know, swiped it again or something, and that's how he got out of there, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's that's the other question: is how did he get here? How did he end up where he's at? When did he come back and steal Doctor Andrews? You know, I have I have my own like pet ideas. There's like one. There's like a picture in the in the spa area of the Chimera Lab that has a giant rocket in the mountain, and I assume possibly that may be Porky's entrance. But one of the interesting things that Leader says is is that Porky can't. Porky's trapped here. Porky can't like leave this moment in time. So that was fascinating. But then it's like, how does he get everybody? I don't know what, I don't know what happened. What? Yeah. That's, that's the kind of odd thing about this, that apparently he brings all of the people and stuff here yes. to corrupt the, the nowhere islands. Do you go to anywhere else on the island? I mean, like I know that I, but I always kind of took the village and it mostly feels like one contiguous place to me, right? Um, okay, the, 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 I, I think judging by the map, you go to most places. You go to Taintain Island, which is a separate island, and you also the okay. bridges. The bridges are, I assume, how you cross the the waters. I don't know. Them. Oh, okay, okay. I I would have to look at the map again. I mean, to me, to me, this is indicative of how the world left an impression <laughs> on me. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, it's it's just so interesting, and it he looks terrifying, and the way he talks is scary because like i i do remember what he says again he says in in sort of commenting on top of leaders stuff like oh you all thought you could fucking uh hide away and pretend nothing bad happens and he is sort of like the reminder this is what happens when you forget what fascism is this is what happens when you forget what capitalism is i'm i'm you, you bad, say that literally just <laughs> Just, just for everyone listening, he doesn't literally spell out the themes like that. It's it's a little more nuanced. He does say spankity, spankity, spank. So, I mean... <laughs> yes, the, the important, very important. So, so, like, how how subtle, you know, it's... The, the important catchphrase of capitalism. Uh, but, like, also to call back to Earthbound, again, I was looking for it when I was playing Earthbound, and it's like, yeah, he's, like, super into the Monotoli building, and he's, like, a rich kid, by the time you get to Foresight. You know what I mean? Um, I was going to ask how you feel like he's evolved as a character since Earthbound. Because over the course of Earthbound, he has a very clear progression where he becomes more corrupted and kind of like self-centered as it goes along. He's a stop-nosed brat at the beginning of Earthbound and still very much out for himself. Yeah. But he's not malevolent like he is by the end. Yeah. And you see that slowly evolve over the course. But how do you feel about the, the time that he's had to evolve even further between the games. Uh, I think that's a super complex thing. I think people could write essays on this shit. Um, the short answer is he hasn't changed very much, but then the long answer right. is of course he has, he, he seems more demented. He has like a God complex. Now he's legitimately bored by everything. He feels like he can't die and there's no stakes. So literally this, and this is one of those things that I think is a meta layer to the game is by, by this chapter facade and Porky and all the sort of uh, pork army rhetoric is that you're playing a game. You're playing a game with Porky, which technically you are, you're playing a video game, but like 
for him, these are the only stakes that matter is the fucking end of the world and everybody dying. And he's like, yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. fine. This is, a, this is the, this is the best thing that I got. And it's, that's terrifying. Um, in terms of development, I think he has a little bit, he's a little bit smarter, but he's not, not, not mature at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I was wondering. I think I largely feel the same in that he hasn't evolved that much since Earthbound is kind of one of the, the, the takeaways for me at the end of it. At the end of Earthbound, he feels very similar to the iteration here, but there there is a sense of awareness that he has about the contradictory nature or like the, the, the facadic nature of the, the people in the village uh, and that they think they can escape their problems and he's a lot more cynical. Yeah. And understanding and, and, and realistic about that, at least. Yeah. Uh, and and that's not necessarily a trait that he demonstrates throughout. Earth he's Bound, also reflective but... enough to know, like, he knows, he says in the dialogue, like, I know that what I'm doing is not good. He says that. <laughs> like, specifically yeah. regarding, like, resetting the world. He's like, I'm just okay with it. Like, that's how bored I am. And in yeah. that way, it goes back to, like, a banality of evil, which also is, like, a big fascism point. It's lifeless, and it goes to um, – it also ties in with Mass Man and Klaus because he also is very indifferent and cold to that. Strangely, he calls him his son, but he also calls him his robot slave. Um, and it, it also just reflects onto this maybe – and this is how I was also phrasing it was um, – so – so the the last area right after that where you need to pull the le- uh the the last needle is a cavern that is actually one for one to the Gigas cavern right before you go into like the Gigas machine. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, it looks exactly like it, it. it. Like even the routing is the same. They just got rid of some parts to it, but like there's chunks that are exactly the same. And they have like the legend or they have the real bat, which is supposedly Ness's bat um in in that section but what i was gonna say was is like if if we go back to that earthbound discussion of trauma i think pokey was an example of trauma not really of trauma stunting his development and then klaus is an example of obviously he's also brainwashed by porky but is an example of blocking yourself you know emotionally to to trauma you know what I mean? And so Ness has to confront, or not Ness, Lucas. Sorry, they're a little similar. Uh, Lucas has to confront both of them in an emotional don't, way. Don't worry, we just spent lengthy sections talking about how different they are, but you're right. They are, they are similar. They both wear striped shirts. Notably, Klaus um, is more similar to Ness. He has a blue, blue yellow. I was going to ask, actually, what you, what you think of Klaus as a character and as he's presented in the story as well, if you think he's very... I don't think he's in it enough, is the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, there, I mean, I think one issue is that before you get to the re- reveal, it's very obvious yeah. that he's, he's the masked man. It becomes very apparent uh, long before then. Yeah. And so when, when a revelation like that is drawn out, it kind of undercuts the tension of the reveal yeah. and the dramatic weight of that. So so that fell a little flat for yeah. me because even without being spoiled, I was like, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Like, you know, it, it, when you do the twin things and it's like, oh, these are the only two people who can do this. <laughs> I wonder who the other one is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and also another big giveaway was um, when you infiltrate the pork army, um, Lucas doesn't wear like a normal pork suit. Everyone assumes he's like the commander. So like, that's a good point. That, that that is a huge giveaway. And at that point in time, you haven't seen the masked man or anything like that. There's there's not enough Klaus to characterize Klaus as a character. It's ultimately fine, but then when the masked man comes, there's not a buildup of masked man either. There's not like a like he he shows up for like the Thunder Tower bit, and then obviously when you're doing the needles, the needles are one chapter, dog. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. So no, I think if I were to do this game, I would have Klaus and the masked man in it more. Yeah. Uh... I, I think I might try and give the masked man a little more presence, a little more emphasis. I guess like what what the the, the Star Wars analog there is that he's Darth Vader basically, yeah. right? And it, I mean Darth Vader is not lacking in personality or presence or you know uh, in in the first and the second films before you get to the reveal exactly. of the relationship, yep. right? Uh, it's 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 basically the same there. It's just brothers instead of father, yep. right? So. You, you could use a little bit more of that dynamic. You could make him, you know, fairly uh, short-spoken, you know, and, and still have that. Yeah. Uh, and I and I guess, again, like, another big issue is that Klaus's importance kind of disappears after the first, you know, chapter or whatever. Yeah. He's just not really brought up again too much. If, if there was more focus centered around looking for him and, like, finding clues about his disappearance and, uh, you know, kind of tracking that... Then I think I would invest more in that. Yeah, my problems ultimately just come back to the first couple chapters not doing a good enough job of establishing some of the core narrative pieces that that I would like, you know. Um, But on the other hand, I think it does. I mean, I'm not speaking on terms of benefiting Klaus here. I think it benefits Flint that you don't. Because Flint is the only person that's like, Klaus is still alive. I'm looking for Klaus. And him being absent, I think, fits. That is, like, a very core mother idea. But also, like, brings to the idea that Flint doesn't, like, dislike Lucas. It's more that he cares about Klaus. You know what I mean? Um, so, the, yeah. so the absent father thing really works. Um, but, yeah, it's at the cost of, it's at the cost of everything else. Um, notably, Flint is in these final sections with you. Um, pretty much being the one to tell you, hey, this is Klaus. You know, it's your brother. Be nice to him, please. Yeah. Yeah, he tries to chase after him. He gets a bit beat up in the process. Uh, he even he yeah, even so joins that... in the fight. Uh, like, he takes some of the hits for you um, when you're actually fighting him. Um, right. Do you, do you want to keep talking about the Porky thing real quick? Like, just beating Porky? Sure. Yeah, because the Porky fight is also something to talk about in and of itself outside of just his presence. Because he's the, like the, the real itself. final boss to me. Yeah, yeah. The Again, and, and, I mean, I guess, like, if you compare to Mother 2, like, I, I don't know, kind of like Gygus, but, like, Gygus is also the story boss. But Gygus also feels like it's not just you're going through script. Yes. Even, even, even when, though it reaches a certain point where you do. Yes. No, no, yeah, basically... <laughs> Porky is a real boss. Porky also does the you cannot comprehend the form thing. Um, so, like, in those ways, I think he is probably, like, the Gygus equivalent. I think the Klaus thing is just the additional conclusion to the characters. 
Does that like that's how I yeah. feel about the cloud stuff. It's more of a set piece. I mean, your party's gone by that point, and the real goal because Lucas doesn't want to hit Klaus, so you're not actually fighting him. What you're doing is healing or defending, and you're waiting mm-hmm. for Hanawa's voice to touch Klaus and affect him. Notably, this is a good trivia thing. Do you know where the at the start of the Klaus fight, um, what the background's from? There's like one very clear like Klaus moment that's like, oh, that's a very clear Earthbound reference. It's the Mani Mani background. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it now, yeah. and I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see so it. that's cool. I mean, I don't know the significance of that. Klaus is evil, I suppose. But either way, it just feels cool. It, it's like a, it's like a kind of facing yourself deal. Oh yeah. I guess. Oh yeah. And also that 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 is a good way to see it. Good analysis, David. Because when he takes off <laughs> his helmet, the words it says are he has Lucas's face. Uh-huh. So so and in that way, that also I guess parallels Gygus because Gygus has Ness's face. Um. So yeah. there's there's a lot I there's mean, a lot of double meanings going on here. The only problem with that reading is that it robs Klaus further of his own characterization if you're just <laughs> characterizing him as a evil reflection of Lucas or a corrupted reflection of Lucas. I, I did want to I did want to point something out. Um I think people misread what's going on. I think the game does try to say like be you know be scared because if Klaus pulls all the needles uh porky wins and i guess maybe in a certain way he's right or they're right but like when ionia sees the needle pulled she doesn't see evil seeping out what she sees is nothingness it's like lifelessness which is like what's tied to klaus um so that's really interesting to me i mean that's that's perhaps more terrifying than evil in some ways Uh, it, it goes back to the nihilism thing where it's like is nihilism the scary thing yeah, I mean, there's, uh, again, I think that also ties in with Porky's fate yeah. in that that sense of the nothingness. Oh, yeah, we should we should talk about, we should talk about what happens to Porky. Yeah, I think that's one of the more interesting things about the conclusion of Mother 3 <laughs> is the absolutely safe capsule. You want to say it? Uh, because, yeah, I mean, it's, he, he jumps into this thing that Dr. Andernus made and it will protect him forever from everything and he'll never die, ever from anything even the even the heat death of the universe yeah the death he he will survive everything period however no one will also be in danger of him so it, yeah he can't get out yeah. he can't do anything no one can get in he can't get out and that's a terrifying fate but also and nuts even says it. it's like that might be exactly what he wanted uh-huh yeah there's definitely like a like a a horrorness to that. I get that, that that's its own kind of existential horror that you can kind of dream of, but like a fitting fate at the same time that you, you, you kind of see. I do like how there's like, like Andernus proposes that as a question to you. Yes. Is, that, is this, is this a good thing or a bad thing basically for him? Yeah. And it really could be either way. Again, it's uh, that, what, what there's, you know, it's that old curse of immortality they say or whatever. Yeah. And the know. fact that he asks you and then you have to answer is like, that is like a big thing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it pushes you to question the the function of that ultimately, and what and how that kind of weighs as a fate. Did he win? Did he lose? Yeah. Is, is it somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Um, I think it's tragic. That is the one thing I'll say is like by this point in time, like Porky has like a tragic element to him where it's like whatever whatever humanity. This goes back to the seeing Ness as a friend thing. He feels very lonely, and he wanted 
he wants friends and he wants people to like him for who he is. Problem is he's a very unlikable person. But in Ness's Magic Cant, um, in Earthbound, there's a Porky there. And Porky is like still a little snot nose, but he asks, Hey Ness, will you be my friend? And uh I think that is like the one like Ness sees him in a more vulnerable way. And maybe that's where the kinship is. I don't know. There's a little tragedy to him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and again, there's a lot that goes back to Earthbound talking about his home life and how that kind of informs his character. And you see how different he is from the beginning of the game to how the corruption has influenced him by the end. And again, it's not just, you know, I, I don't buy just that, oh, he was a well-meaning, uh, you know, misguided kid that was then overtaken and, you know... Uh, corrupted by Gygus. Yeah. I, I, obviously there's an element there but he's not like being mind controlled he is buying into it he is she wants feeding it. into yeah. the thing yeah yeah and and so he follows that all the way through and you see that through the happy happy village through the monotoli you know relationship up through his collaboration with Gygus yep. there and then up now till mother three where he's literally o overtaking the entire world that he's you know inhabited now and also seeking to destroy it once he's had his fun corrupting it and you know entirely uh bastardizing it basically and he wants to throw one big party um mm -hmm. and uh and the klaus stuff the klaus stuff to me works when he starts to hurt himself because i think before that it feels a little like I don't know. I think the tragedy sets in when Klaus takes off his helmet and makes the choice explicitly to throw lightning at your Franklin badge and uh, get shocked. And, and you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Klaus has a good moment after that. Like th at that point, I think things start to work again. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you where he gets to finally express as a character. Again, this is where having the, the silent villain it can un you know take away your opportunity to really uh work i guess you know or, or to express something more uh as its own he he d is effectively a mindless zombie oh. during the the period of well, the game well also the to be part. fair um i am pretty sure a lot of this was cut i've never like fully looked into the cut content but there were heavy like phases in the fight that were more horrific more Gygus inspired in terms of like ghost faces or like just trap. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a more of a horror bend to it. Um, but they were forced to dumb it down. You could look up the cut content. It, they, they went for a different direction. I'm glad it's tamer. I don't, I don't necessarily think that, um, I, I think playing into the sentiment of brother versus brother is better than any sort of like horror moments here. Well, may maybe this is a good transition point then to talk about some of the cut stuff or the development issues the game had because there there is a lot more to be said than just what we ultimately have here. Oh, yeah. You know, the the game was greenlit right after Mother Two <laughs> was released. There's there's entire it sixty was... like Nintendo sixty four footage, like fucking Yeah. There's a bunch of versions of this game that don't exist. Yeah, I mean, originally they were going to develop it for the, the SNES, and then it was, again, at the end of its cycle, so they were like, eh, uh, let's just move on to the, the the new game system that they've got here. And of course, you know, the N64, it's a, a whole ambitious new thing. 
and I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the footage from Earthbound 64, yeah. like the demo stuff they brought to the E3. Flint looks cool, and also Kumatora has a completely different design. On, I mean, uh, the the game looks completely really cool. You know, I, 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 I hate to fall into that trap of like what could have been, you know, just based on what little you've seen there. But on, I love it. It's got a minecart section. That's always great. I'm down for. It more. seems like there's more Klaus, right? Yeah, yeah. They're both. They're they're together there. So that's really interesting. It was also going to be way more ambitious, like twelve chapters. I think they oh said at one God. point. I don't think I would want to play this for twelve chapters, David. Oh no! And it wouldn't. And again, this is on the the N sixty four originally for the the disc version. That have you even played any of the disc drive games for the N sixty four? The disc drive? Ever? No, I don't think the disc drive came out. the the only the only The only thing that came out for the Nintendo sixty four was an expanded RAM thing. I'm pretty sure the entire sixty four DD thing never came out. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that makes sense because I've never. I don't even know what games were developed for Mother so, Three. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what a what a shit show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but what we've seen does look really cool. I'll say I would want I, I would I, play I, it for sure. And there's like people trying to like restore as much as possible or find prototypes of it. And it, it, I think it was only estimated there was ever like sixty percent complete. So like it would not even be close to a finished I, game I, if I would scrap together. Everything. I would still play sixty percent of this bad boy. I would. <laughs> I'm interested. It looks good. Um, I expect mean, yeah, and I mean not a lot of N64 games really hold up that well, no. but. There's there's a lot of color I, here. I like the visuals. I think the art design is honestly good, like really good. I, I mean, I think one of the other strengths a sixty four title like this would have is that the turn based aspects oh, would yeah su would survive time better than a lot of the you know platforming games that were kind of inherent to the system were. Yeah. Like the transition to three D really uh, focused on those and movements and stuff and. That's the stuff that's aged poorly. The turn-based stuff, you know, the the RPGs or whatever that made it there. I don't know. I'm thinking like Paper Mario or that's, whatever. That's about There's it. There's like, like also Quest 64, but they should have done more. They, they should have done more. They would have held up. Well, better, you know why time. is because see, I'll tell you why they didn't make RPGs for the Nintendo 64 because there wasn't enough space on a fucking cartridge. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why. That's why Square went over to the uh, playstation and uh look yeah. this is all a roundabout way of saying <laughs> uh they cut a lot of this game this game went through development hell it's a miracle it exists in any form let alone yeah a translated japanese version yeah i mean it's it's really wonderful that it's as accessible as it is i suppose again like i i own a cartridge of this game now which is really cool. And it didn't cost me that much. And it, it was surprisingly cheap to obtain. And I, and I like playing out a cartridge, I'll say as well, I guess, just to weigh on that. I don't imagine you, you didn't play it. On nah, cartridge, dog. Right? I, I emulated this bad boy on my PC. I'm I'm sure most people have, you know. But I, I liked having the cartridge. I liked, you know, I, I didn't mind paying for the effort for it. It seemed like a nice way. I wanted to play it on the system it was intended for, even if the translation isn't official or whatever. Yeah. It was it was nice to do. I was hyped up on on the series playing and everything, and it was uh, you know a nice bit piece to add to my collection. You know, I'm I'm parking the 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 Runaway Five bus amongst my other things here in in the nostalgia boat ride. I'll I'll include this amongst my obsessive collection, grasping onto my childhood like Porky. There you go. I don't, I don't care. There you, I don't hey, care. Be proud. I'll, I'll pull hey, man, all the needles. There ain't nothing wrong with it. I will say. 
at the end. Spankity, 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 man. <laughs> He's right. Spankity, spank. Uh, he, he ain't wrong. Um, the ending, I think, I kind of like it better than Earthbounds? Question mark. You question mark indeed. I we I remember you were pretty elated talking about how you gotta walk your way to the end in Earthbound and how like relieving that is and how you know more games should do something like that. Yeah. Versus, I think something that's easily missable uh, at the end of uh, Mother Three. Honestly, I I literally would have missed out on all of the stuff at the end there if I didn't like look up the end stuff for the oh, game as fair. i still had the system on yes i was just i as soon as i finished i i just was like okay so so what did you think happened at that point i mean it was just over it was at the end screen it just says the end and i was like <laughs> okay <laughs> and and i and i was waiting i just i sat there on the screen for a good while you know wondering because earthbound does a kind of similar thing where it's like it, it, the credits roll and then there's a little bit at the yeah. end where you've got we've got Picky coming to the door, and that's when you get the note from Porky, you know, basically saying things aren't over yet. Yeah. Spankity, spankity, spankity. The end. Question mark. Um. Uh. But but in here you have to trigger the extra stuff by moving around. Yes. On on the D pad after uh, on the end screen where it says the end, you can move around in the darkness well, well, and bump into people. For more context. Before this moment, you pulled the needle. Everyone's like, hey, pull the needle. Put all of your heart into it. Make sure right. when the dragon wakes up, because, again, the lore is is when the needles get pulled, the psychic energy merges with the dragon, and a good heart will make things good, but a bad heart will make things bad. So everyone's like, don't fuck up, Lucas. And then you pull it, yep. and then all hell breaks loose. There's, like, earthquakes and storms and it looks like an apocalypse again mm -hmm. and then we go to a black screen and it says the end so in my head as david i'm like oh my god they just killed everybody it's over <laughs> i mean it's a it's a pretty downer ending for sure still like the the bit that you get from some of the text afterwards in, implies that maybe it's not so bad but yeah it's it's definitely a kind of like desolate you know depressing at, at the very least a a blank slate ending you know a total wiping of everything yeah. that we've but done but it, but it goes back the whole... to the uh leader stuff where it's like this was coming you know what i mean yeah and sometimes an ending is a beginning and this this illusion wasn't gonna go on forever and in that i think there's power there and then when you when you talk they this is to me what i like about this is the game is directly talking to the player because it starts saying your name like oh hey how are you david or hey how are you brogan um and yeah. it just the, the, to me it works so well i agree so all three games have this direct player address at one point right there's points where it asks you to put in your actual name you the person playing the game and in Mother 1, it doesn't matter really whatsoever. It's in the right? credits. It's just a thank you at the end. Yeah. Yeah. In Mother 2, it's the prey. It's calling upon everyone in the world. And then it finally calls upon you. And that's a really nice thing that brings it, you know, all together. Right? Yeah. Like, it's this, you know, everyone's, you know, putting their hands up in the air, giving all their energy to the, the, the super bomb, the exactly. super saiyan bomb that's or whatever. That's exactly right? what's going on. And, and that's how you beat Gygus. Right? And it works. It works really well. Uh, as we talked about and in mother three it's 
the characters kind of talking to you at the end of the game here. All of the events have happened. The world's destroyed, basically. We're in just an infinite darkness, but everyone's like, it's okay. You know, it's it's going to be the beginning of something new, maybe, you know, going on. Thanks for all your help and everything. The The last notes I have here is a quote from it here, which I found. And, and this was the most touching address. They said, hey, other world. Be good to David out there. And I I really appreciated that. That that felt really nice, really comforting. And again, it's nothing, you know, it's just, it's a very arbitrarily programmed thing. It's not even directly to me personally, you know. But it's, but it, it's, it, it, it hits so well. Cause like, that was the moment that made me tear up. It was like the whole buildup of that. That's like the end to the thing. But like, basically they ask you and with the context of their world, their world's fucked up. It's an apocalypse. But because it reflects onto us, they ask you at the end, like, oh, we're fine. But how's your world? And I'm like, oh, it's not yeah. good. It's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fucked. But yeah, but the, the fact that these, you know, zeros and ones are wishing me well yeah and hoping things go good in my world or, or even just commanding my world they're they're specifically saying hey be good to you be good to david out there you know he's a good guy that feels nice it just feels nice you know and maybe maybe i just don't hear it enough in the real world maybe no. that's what the game is telling no me. but that's what i i it's what i like about it. is number one it makes you think about the parallels to our world but number two it just it's just calling you out and being like hey man i hope you're all right it just feels good i don't know it gives me comfy vibes um the other thing no, i agree the other thing is i wanted to say and this is my perspective on the ending um i said a lot about the game reflecting the there's a meta thing with imagination and fantasy and all that in my head the game ends like it it's the end of the game that's what it is it's not like everybody dies it, if you turn on the game and reset it everyone's just fine when the when the magypsies go they're like i'm not dead i'm just going away it's my time and that's what this is and lucas even says to you like hey i want to see you again we can see each other anytime we want we're gonna see each other again right and to me it it feels so nice to know there's a tragedy that's like oh if i restart the game fucking chapter one's gonna suck isn't it but like it's the journey you went on with everybody and that's all this is is a video game but it's aware of that and it's aware of the connection with you and it's an end and it's fine. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get the sense again in this meta way that it can still be a moving and emotional and human and uh, morally complex story, but it's also, uh, you know, a story it's fictional. It's a video game. Again, it's a bunch of ones. And it's very honest about that, it. Yeah. And that's what, earthbound was as well i don't know if i would say mother one was that necessarily what ones and zeros or what aware aware oh yeah zeros and reflective (laughs) reflective of that yes in in a sense you know again there's lots of choices that earthbound makes throughout it for as immersive as a game as it is there's lots of times where again like i said it, it stops and takes you out of the game to say hey we're gonna address you directly or make you do things that are very unimmersive, a very unvideo game like to make you think about how this is a game and how odd that is and how fun it can be and how you know weird yeah and mother three does that as well and in some of these direct addresses uh again maybe more explicitly than in earthbound at, at any point but they both do this again this is what i mean when they have the same spirit even if game you know like narratively structurally uh tonally they're very 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 different games and that was again one of the 
things that I had to reconcile going in here and kind of coming out trying to come to a different conclusion about or it make as sense a of it. sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I, and I think you said this off air with me before, is that this is the kind of game you want a sequel to be. And I, I think I agree with that generally, and that it's just, it's radically different in terms of its priorities, but spiritually the same in terms of its tone, style, gameplay, yeah. uh, you know, mechanics overall. But the the emotions and the conclusions it wants you to walk away with are just absolutely different and so it's very hard to want to compare them because even though they share so much dna they're just so different on so many other levels that it feels very unfair to just say oh this is better at this or oh this isn't as good as this it's, they're you know? completely different experiences but are also within the same sort of pantheon of earthbound i guess um and like earthbound being a refinement of mother one sort of damns mother one in a in a hard way where it's like, yeah, I, I yeah. can't recommend it. If they made a remake of mother one, even then I'm like, and people are trying to remake it. Would, it. It's, I'd still be it like, be you should play earthbound. Probably. <laughs> I'd still recommend mother one, but to people who want to play it, if you're super about it, do it. If you're not, then don't do it. Does that make sense? It's, it's weird because if earthbound and mother three didn't exist, I would absolutely recommend mother one as a game. Uh, you know, it, because it's so different from other RPGs, particularly of that time, but also even of today, it's it's so different and unique in that sense. But because Earthbound exists and is essentially just a, a refinement and an improvement across the board, even though it, Mother One retains, you know, in individual values and interests, it's just very hard to want to recommend it now. Yeah. But again, if you, if, you, if you took Earthbound away, if it didn't exist... Then yeah, I would be so enthusiastic about. Whereas there isn't a scenario where I would not recommend Mother Three. You know, we have a friend who only played Mother Three, and he felt like he didn't miss anything. And and I thought about it. And I was like, I think you do miss something, but in a way you don't because yeah. it's not like it's not like the presences of the other elements get in the way it's not like who the fuck is porky there is a little bit of that but even now i'm like who the fuck is porky and i've spent hours with the guy <laughs> like, yeah you know what i, I mean? mean the the big thing i think you miss is the the emotion that you get from the mother one theme playing like we said and then the tour of it because even if you're familiar with mother two just by sheer pop culture osmosis that so you know things like the runaway five or you recognize tessie or you know the uh you know the the uh heavily armored device that porky's in so you you recognize all these things and you get the same rush of nostalgia maybe it's very different from experiencing it i said on the last uh one we did where we talked about mother 2 that as someone who watches a lot of games and feels very content with that experience and feels like i've experienced the game as much as i need to to you know have opinions on it or whatnot uh earthbound playing through it was definitely one where i felt like i really needed to play it to be in the driver's seat to appreciate some of his moments to the fullest yeah. that's not to say that i could not feel those experiences having just watched someone play the game but it, it was informed so much more and emphasized so much more being the person playing it and so i i, I feel that those feelings apply to mother three to a an exponential degree yeah. so again th those moments are going to really hit seeing 
Ness's adventures play out on the movie screen in New Pork City is going to feel, you know, more familiar, more yeah, uh, it just hits different, nostalgic, more looking back. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, it goes back to the sequel thing where it's like it's okay if this is the only one you've ever played, but there is a an infinitely rewarding aspect to the series and the the trilogy aspect of it and also just in a theme sense i wouldn't want there to be a mother four i think this is yeah a definitive closing the book everything's done yeah itoi doesn't want to make a mother four and i think that's enough to say that we don't want a mother four yeah uh i mean i don't even know what what you would do and that's not to say that you couldn't do something as, as three is proven you can just be very radically different and still retain the same spirit. But if there's nothing there from the well of the, the creator, the auteur, the, you know, the kind of concept behind everything yeah. of, of the series, then why would you even want another one? It, I, it, it goes I, back I, to I the nostalgia so thing. It goes back to that where it's like, I want to play a new Earthbound. But then it's like, and he said it, Itoy said, I would be, I would want to play Mother 4. I would not want to make Mother 4. And in this circumstance, this goes back to, why don't you just make something new? And that's what, like, say, the people, yeah. Toby Fox who made Undertale did. You know what I mean? It's like, we can, we can let this be. This could be a dead franchise and it's okay it's it's i was gonna say i was i was gonna say people joke about this being a dead franchise all the time i'm like was this ever a franchise yeah this isn't a franchise it's a series of uh, games it's, exactly. it's a, a, a contained it's a contained narrative and this was the cap and they didn't want to do any more and they're not going to it's fine you know this isn't this isn't F-Zero languishing in hell being forgotten about by Nintendo since the GameCube era. I don't want to give Ness motion controls to, like, have him T-pose <laughs> gy- gyrating around. That's not what this game is. That's not what this is about. And When is Mother Picross coming out? Exactly. It, Nintendo doesn't make games like this. Is My one complaint is I wish Nintendo made more games like this. And playing Mother 3, you know, it's abundantly clear... This game's not coming out in the United States anytime soon. And Nintendo's not even going to make anything in this realm ever again for decades. I mean, here's my question. Is anybody, is there an equivalent? Is there somebody at Sony making mother-like games that that hit the same way that innovate and play with the, you know, kind of constraints or the, you know, concepts of the medium in the same way that the Mother series does? I, I haven't played any games that are akin to these that i that i could even necessarily compare i'm not even familiar even the ones the derivatives that we talked about in the previous episode are they really that much like it are they really pushing or you know changing or emotionally hitting in the same degree as the mother games are i don't that's that's not a question for us is i guess i would say that <laughs> um short answer no long answer yeah kind of maybe like, especially in the indie sphere but even then it's like nothing was gonna hit the exact same way because this is art this isn't like a Mario game. Yeah. You can make a Mario game, David. I couldn't make an Earthbound game. And that was the whole problem with like the fan-made Mother 4. Is like you can make a different game and have it have the vibes. That's you know, that's all you should do if you want to do something like this. But like I am not Shigesato Itoi. I'm not a fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. Here here Here's the, I don't I don't think fans should make anything in in the series. If you're a fan of something, <laughs> I don't think you should be allowed to touch the property. You're too close to it. You're too you're too uh you know familiar with it. You have too much af- affection for something. 
and you just you're not gonna be able to resist the temptation to be indulgent and to just give in to you know uh, re repeating some of the things in this very empty referential way. I, I I don't think fans should be allowed to touch the properties of. <laughs> We're gonna get chewed movie. out in this podcast. The only people that are gonna listen to this three hour Mother Three podcast are probably Mother Three fans. So <laughs> so so just just so you know, if you want to make a Mother Four. Uh, you are basically Porky from the end of this game, and you're basically bad. Exactly. <laughs> spankity, spankity, spank. I think, I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. I mean, that's what I've been trying to say my whole life. Spankity, spankity, spankity. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that the thing we've all been trying to say? Sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, no. You know, I, I guess just thank you, bro, for coming on here and enduring like six hours of mother talk with me <laughs> for over these. I, I mean, I didn't get into this intending to play all of the games and have in incredibly expansive conversations with you about it, but I'm glad we did. They've been some of the more rewarding games I've played. And it's been a very fun experience good. to, it's like a little book binge, club. Binge them all. That's what that was. It feels yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope I'll be able to encourage you to do something similar. I don't know what else I can hook you with uh, next to, to show up here. Just look at the runtime oh. of the game next time. How about that? <laughs> Are you saying I need to go shorter or longer? Shorter, I don't, I don't please. know. I don't shorter. know what this shorter. Is. Shorter. Oh, well, I mean, if it's shorter, then we won't have as long a lovely conversation. So, mm. what a shame! I'm, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to go longer. Oh, no. Are you familiar with the Persona series? I bro? am. Let's not do that. Uh, okay. Well, we'll, well see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, okay. Thank you, David. If I start, if I start with Persona One, will you do all of them? I would. You know what? <laughs> I would do. I would do them because I wanted to do. I think Persona 2's duology is like a daydream cast pick. So I would do those. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm putting that in my mental notes here. I'm writing. That oh down my god! Why did I just control. commit to that? Why did I just do that? <laughs> All right. I think we're done here. We're playing out. <laughs>